does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. They'll be listed however they're listed game to game and you know but if you're asking if it's um, possible that they don't play anymore yeah it's possible so it's not impossible that one of them would play but you know we're, we're, we're just going game to game with it I'm Brian though he's Jimmy Cook 93.5107.5 the fan as it seems like Rick Carlisle's embracing Team Tank over here, does it not? Like, yeah, we might not see our best players from here on out. <laughs> it's possible. I, I don't know. Let's wait and see over here. I mean, Coach Carlisle can continue to fight the good fight, and I support him as a head coach doing that. But as a Pacers fan, yeah, we're Team Ping Pong Balls. If you want to join us, we've got plenty of room in the boat, Coach. You're welcome. Welcome to. Please. We'll make I like for that. You. Team Ping. You know, (laughs) we need team ping pong balls over here. I like that. We'll circle back to the Pacers, but we got some college hoops news to start this thing. Jimmy Elwin, we're going to have some fun with comps. This is the season for a quarterback comps. So we have it for this year's draft. And I did a little quick search. It is comedy looking at comps from the 2018 draft where there were five first-round picks uh, as far as quarterbacks go. Uh, So we'll have some fun with that in a few minutes. But let's start with college hoops here. Jalen hood Shafino from IU, the guard. He's declared for the NBA draft. He is adios muchachos in terms of college basketball. Projects, and this is fluid, right? Right now, late teens, early 20s, the NBA draft projections. Of course, the combine is a big deal, but... I said before the show started to you guys, you, Jimmy, and Eddie Garrison is with us also. It's amazing when you watch JHS in the college game, and there were times the game against Purdue on the road, he was sensational. You see the playmaking ability. But then there are other games where you're like, he's got some work to do, and that guy, he's going to be in the NBA. You talk about being thrown into the deep end. That is it, baby. You got one year in college, and you are out to the NBA. I mean, the process itself or the idea of that process of one and done is not to you or I or to college basketball a foreign concept. It can be daunting when you look at, as you mentioned, all the hits he played and all the misses he had at times as well. I'm not, you know, as an Indiana alum, but also stepping away as like an unbiased third party. I'm not surprised by the move. I think everybody kind of expected this was going to happen. He was going to be a one-and-done product. That was the feel for most of the year. And I think there was enough good put on the tape to whether he is in the low teens or maybe he rises up inside the top 10. I think that he could have a a very promising NBA career uh, if he gets into the right spot where he can continue to work and grow on the negatives that we've pointed out. Yeah, and listen, I'm not hating on this decision. I'm just saying... Man, you talk about going from the college game and that level of competition to the NBA. It's just you were in floaties in the shallow (laughs) end in college. Now you're in the deep end in rocky waters. We just saw Drew Holiday of the Bucks go off for 51 points. That's an all-star caliber point guard. He's been an all-star twice in his career. You know, think about that. Think about uh, Hood Shafino going up against Penn State's 
Jalen Pickett and the booty ball approach and just backing JHS down. And you're going to go up against such a wide range of guards in the NBA, skilled, powerful. <laughs> it's it's going to be quite the test. And I wish them all the best. I, I'm not questioning this, the decision. Right. I'm just saying it is, it, man, it is an uphill climb to not only get up to snuff where you're an average player, but to be a better than average player on that level after one season, that is that is quite the task right there. There are a lot of reasons for him, and I there's no denying that. I totally agree with you just to get that out front. Like it, it is a daunting task for anybody that's gonna commit to go to the NBA after one season when, you know, you're not a slam dunk like top five pick, right? We usually give grace period to those type of players when they're you think of the Anthony Davis's of the world or that type of collection of talent that they were one and dones and people knew they were going to excel at the next level. There was still a learning curve for AD for Jalen Hoodfino, only 19 years old, still very much in the developmental stage of his basketball career. Again, I'm not saying it's going to be overnight success, but it's a decision you have to know the mountain that's in front of you. But you also have to believe in yourself enough to think you can climb it. And I think you can. Absolutely. And that's the thing is I hope he gets to a, a good situation yep. where, you know, they don't throw him. It's almost like a treadmill. You know, you don't put it on the highest incline at the highest speed, right? It's not like you throw him into the starting lineup and it's like, all right, go get him. Today you got John Morant, tomorrow Drew Holiday. Like, you know, he's probably going to be running with the second unit and facing other second units more than not in his rookie year, maybe his first couple of seasons. So that like lowers the climb if it's the treadmill thing again instead of like a 10.0 incline that's more of like a 4.0 incline you just kind of ease him in so the smart coaches will be able to do that yeah and the one thing that pops into my mind fair or not fair it's just the recent memory of IU prospects or IU guards and I'm just talking within the last five seasons you look at Romeo Langford another like highly touted five-star recruit at the time he ends up going to Indiana he's there for correct me if I'm wrong on this Eddie he was there for two seasons right not just the one or was he one and done Romeo was one and one done. And done. So Romeo was also one and done. so my, my point remains the same there where to your larger conversation here Brian that's another Indiana guard that is at the young age of, of 18 or 19 years old when he makes the jump. And for Romeo, it wasn't the rainbows and butterflies that you hope it's going to be as a pro. It still hasn't been. He spent a lot of time in the G League, spent three years in Boston. Mm-hmm. He's in San Antonio right now, has played four games there this season. I mean, it, it it has its ups and downs. And if you don't hit right away, you have to have the type of mental fortitude, the support group, and the belief in yourself to keep fighting or your NBA career is not going to last long. Romeo's still there, but Mm -hmm. it has not been what I think it was perceived to be or told to him it would be when he committed to make the jump. For sure. Yeah, hopefully it's smoother for Jalen hood Shafino, but time will tell. Time will tell. He's going to take that jump to the next level. And, uh, hey, we wish him all the best. How about Zach Eady sticking with college basketball? The Purdue big man named... AP Men's College Basketball Player of the Year, nearly unanimous. Edie received all but one of the 58 votes. It's a 58-person media panel. The only other guy to get a vote, Trace Jackson Davis of IU. So how about that? Edie gets 57 of the votes. Trace Jackson Davis gets one of them. I want to correct one thing before I answer that. Um, I looked at 2021-2022 when Romeo only played four games. He's played in 39 games this year for the Spurs, so a a jump there in terms of his playing time. Back to the Zach Eady comment, though. Uh, I mean, yeah, look, he was 
at times the crowned king of college basketball for the majority of the season. There was a little bit of pushback, like maybe Trace Jackson Davis was fully in that conversation. Maybe he could overtake him. This is like the midpoint of the year. And then Zach Eady continued to be the consistent, dominant machine that he was pretty much the entirety of the college basketball season. This is the first of what I think is many awards coming his way in this end-of-season awards as we approach that bridge. And, of course, bittersweet for Edie. Yeah. As Purdue got bounced in the first round by Fairleigh Dickinson, and Edie talked about that. He said, quote, The season ended in disappointment, which really sucks, but it's always nice to win individual accolades. kind of validates your work a little bit. The last three years I've played here, I've seen my game grow every year. AP Player of the Year is a great feeling. It just kind of stinks the way the season ended, end quote. Yeah, that's to put it mildly, man. That's got to be absolutely bittersweet where you get this individual accolade. And, of course, the team goes into that as well. But you get bounced by FDU, one and done. That That's rough, man. I, I look at it where at least Edie isn't getting clowned the way an NBA MVP does. You know what I mean? Like, there have been years where James Harden, I remember, won MVP, and it's after the postseason, and the Rockets fizzle out, and it's like, oh, yeah, some MVP he is. Oh, yeah, go get yeah. your, your award beard and all that. It's not the same type of brushback when it comes to a college player. And I think that's refreshing because there, there could be plenty. Losing to FDU is a, a recipe for smack talk if you would like to go down that lane. Yeah, and it's an easy smack talk point. It will always be a smack talk point, but at the same time, at least how I've always perceived it, and I know it's kind of more of a gray area within the college ranks, but I think of the whole body of work, but also how dominant were you across the course of the year? There were no hiccups for Zach Eady, even against Fairleigh Dickinson, he still got his in that game despite the fact that he was limited at times. They were throwing triple teams at him and basically knowing they're going to beat us one of two ways. We're going to gamble and hope they miss threes, which is what happened. We've all seen the box score. We all watched the game. Edie was still, though, the pinnacle force to be reckoned with. It is bittersweet, though. It's a great way to phrase it because there were larger expectations for this Purdue team. Not Maybe not to start the year by the media, but internally, yeah, they felt like they had a good group. They felt like the sky could be the limit, and it came crashing down. So it's that ESPN article started out that he had the phone off and he was you know, kind of keeping yeah. to himself for a first couple weeks after that loss to FDU. And it is nice, though, I'm sure, to have some type of recognition and reminder, hey, Season didn't end the way you wanted it to, but you were phenomenal throughout the whole year. I think it makes it even tougher. If you go down swinging with your best punch, you know, it's like literally makes it a make it a boxer where your yeah. best punch is your uppercut. And you threw 15 uppercuts and you only landed one. And uh, OK, but whatever. At least you threw it, you know, and Zach Eady to not get a field goal attempt in the final 13 minutes and 30 seconds against FDU. Like, I, I jokingly, half-seriously call Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, the Smurf, because he, he kind of is. But but fairly Dickinson, good Lord, if you want to talk about Smurfs over there, they, the shortest team in college basketball, and Edie doesn't get a field goal attempt in the final 13-plus minutes of that game. I know he had a couple of free throws, but they dictated pace. They dictated what Purdue did and what shots they got. That makes it even more difficult, I think, to accept your season coming to an end and a defeat like that. If Edie had, I don't know, let's say five, seven field goal attempts down the stretch and he only made one, yeah, you'd wrestle with that. But I think it's way worse not having those field goal attempts in the final 13 plus. For the team or for him individually? Both. 
I agree with the team aspect, and I'm sure it hurts him regardless because you, if you're the best player on your team, you're always going to feel like, I could have done more. I could have done this. I could have put myself in better situations. I could have tried to avoid or or corral out of those double and triple teams a little bit better. But, and we remember it well, the defensive game plan that FDU put into play was we know we're the smallest team. We're going to battle the heck out of Zach Eady and send everything his way all night and make somebody else beat us. You're always going to live with that chip on your shoulder as the best player on your ball club, but I don't know there's much else he could have done with how his game is structured and the defensive game plan that FDU laid on the table those final 13 minutes of action. I'd, unless there are like three, four guys surrounding him, like like they're sharks like surrounding sure, sure. A, a surfer on his surfboard with like a little cut on his uh, left knee or something. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> unless they're doing that, fine. The shortest team facing a couple of double teams, like you got to do better than no field goal attempts in the final 13 minutes. That's insane. I mean, look. I remember a lot of those moments where, because he is also such a good passer, you're going to rely on your teammates when they have open looks. Should he have maybe been a little bit more dominant yeah. and selfish? I, I'm not going to sit here and I will. argue that. I, like, I will. Like, like, I'll argue that. No, no, no. no. Like, I'm that... not going to argue with you about it because, oh, okay. yeah. I got may, you. May, yeah, right. I got it. Yeah. May, maybe he should have, but additionally, I put less on Edie and more on those were some wide open looks all I, night. I Ryan. know, and they kept on missing Help those wide open out. looks left Ugh. and right. Yeah, I just think of Shaq. Yeah, you're right. I mean, back you're in the right. day, he'd be like, "Give me the effing ball yeah. now! Yes. Give it to me!" Yes. And I want to see more of that from Zach Eady, especially in the on the college level. But hey, he did make a dunk with a minute to play. Oh, that's sorry. That's for that. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking at box scores. That's that's first half stuff. Anyway, your larger <laughs> point. Your larger point is true. I mean, you, you need to be in yeah. an era where the big man is going to be the true alpha. And yeah, if you're asking me, oh, would Shaq have done that? Right. Or, or would would uh, Patrick Ewing? Yeah, you're right. They probably would have been a little bit more aggressive uh, in that action through the final three minutes. I would also argue, though, that Shaq or Ewing might not have trusted their guys well, yeah. from downtown in the way that yeah. the game is played. Today. It's a balance. It really is a balance. And we always hear this where it's like, hey, you need to have some dogs on your team. Yeah. You hear that all the time. And it's like, okay, well, what does that really mean? I think Purdue against FDU, FDU is a great example of that. Like, I'm not saying that Edie has no dog in him. But he needs more. He needs yep. more in a situation like that. Now, I'm not trying to dog his season. He had a sensational season. Ranked sixth nationally in scoring, about 22 points a game. Second in rebounding, about 13 boards a game. First in double doubles with 26. So he had a sensational season. Also, I love this nugget. First player since Navy's David Robinson, the Admiral, in 85-86 to have at least 750 points, 450 rebounds, and 50 block shots in a season. Man. So it's tough, right? Like, unless you win a championship, your game, that's the final impression. Like, that that's the last impression. Now, it's a much different last impression when you lose to a 16 seed. You know, it's not yeah. like you lost on a buzzer beater to a, a three seed or something like that. But uh, we shouldn't, like, forget about the entire body of work just because of the last sour note there. No, I'm right there with you. It, it has to be the large body of work within your voting process. I think that the voting process reflected that for AP Player of the Year, but both can be true, right? I mean, it, 
you're going to be, if you're an alpha on a team like that, you're always going to have second guesses of maybe I should have been a little bit more selfish than I was down the stretch. There's no doubt about that. By the way, last little nugget here, that ESPN story that you checked out, Jimmy. Uh, It says that Edie, when he was growing up in Toronto, he was big into hockey and baseball. He was 6'2 by the time he was in sixth grade, and everybody was just like, play basketball, dude. You're, <laughs> you're, you're tall already. Like, play hoops. And he didn't like it. He wanted to avoid it because he, was, he kept on getting pushed toward playing basketball. But then he started to play competitively, fell in love with the sport. The rest is history. As of right now, he's just the, named the AP College Player of the Year. Um, but I, just, I think it's hilarious to envision Zach Eady just sticking with baseball. And imagine if he's a starting pitcher or a middle reliever or something. Can you imagine a seven foot four guy on top of a mound throwing heat at you? <laughs> I kind of wish he would have been a baseball pitcher in a way. Would have been a sight to see. Yeah, there's no doubt. And and on top of that, if, if you continue reading that piece, and it's a really nice piece on ESPN.com uh, regarding him winning AP Player of the Year. If you are a big man, if I'm trying to put myself in those shoes that is also hesitant about basketball for most of your life, there are a few spots as well-versed in the country of being able to develop and fine-tune a big man than Matt Painter. He's shown that over, even if you just quantify into the last five or seven years of just a revolving door of frustrating, talented big man. And in terms of accolades, Zach Eadie's top of the mountain. Yeah, uh, Brian, no, he is Jimmy Cook here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, let's turn our attention to ball over here. NFL draft, we're inching closer to it. We're almost in April. Jimmy, right? Like you think about opening day in baseball, we're inching towards spring. But when we get to April, inching toward the NFL draft, we're inching towards summer. You know what I'm saying? I feel so. I'm not just spring mode. I'm thinking thinking summer over here with the NFL draft. But uh, almost uh, in April here. And I read something this morning here, Jimmy. So Matt Bowen, he writes for ESPN, does a great job. And he put together a piece, top 2023 NFL draft quarterbacks, This is the title of it. Best Traits, Highlights, Throws. Now, we're not going to break down highlights or throws on radio. So let's talk about traits. So this is what Matt Bowen uh, listed for each of the top prospects, their best trait. Bryce Young, pocket poise. And I got the pocket poise over there. C.J. Stroud, third level accuracy and touch. He can throw it downfield accurately. Uh, Will Levis, all-around stud. No, I, I added that part. Uh, <laughs> throws with velocity. You know, throws some, some steam on the ball. And also, Anthony Richardson, arm strength. He can sling it, though it's not always on target. It was <laughs> what Matt Bowen wrote right there. Now, this is what really stands out to me, Jimmy. The comps. Love the quarterback comps over here. So the comp, according to Matt Bowen for Bryce Young, is Drew Brees. I know you've heard that quite a bit. Yep. I have, too. C.J. Stroud, get a load of this uh, comp. Matt Ryan. Hmm. What's your first impression? Because I think a lot of people would go, ew, Matt <laughs> Ryan. And it's a little bit like Edie in a way, right? It's, it shouldn't just be the last impression with Matt Ryan's season last year with the Colts, yeah. which was a disaster. It's a former league MVP. This guy, Matt Ryan, put up numbers for a long time in Atlanta. The dude could slant. He was one of those quarterbacks in general, whether you were just a fan of the game or a fantasy football player or whatever, where you knew the type of season he was going to have over the course of his prime. I'm sure that's probably a little bit 
of an undertone shot towards the fact that Stroud really didn't show an aggressiveness or a commitment to run and be mobile and agile in college as, as some scouts would have liked him to show. You look at Matt Ryan's career, primarily a pocket passer guy, right? Not not a guy that's going to go win it with your legs. Maybe once in a blue moon during his early prime, but that, that's not a bad comp. You just got to flush it out of your mind, Colts fans. Flush the last season out of your mind. Yeah, got to flush it. No doubt about that. Um, Will Levis, his comp, according to Matt Bowen, Jay Cutler. Huh? What do you think about that? I think he's going to steal a lot of money from the Colts then. That's dangerous. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dangerous game we're playing there. And the comp for Anthony Richardson is Bills quarterback Josh Allen. Like, I, that's too, man, that's, uh, there, there's a lot in that comp that, that is clickbaity slash easy because that's what we've been referencing of, because it's the only like real point we can make for why accuracy could be fixed because Josh Allen is the mm-hmm. unicorn example do I think that if the accuracy could be fixed at that level, that Anthony Richardson could be as good as Josh Allen? There's a conversation to be had there, but it's a massive if. It's a, it, There's not a large body of work to prove it can be fixed. Yeah, that's, that's going to take a lot. I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's going to take a lot for Anthony Richardson to rival Josh Allen. I know most of these comps are based on traits, I get that. Like Josh Allen wasn't accurate in college. Look at him now. Yeah. Uh, so maybe something similar happens with Anthony Richardson, and certainly with the tools, Josh Allen, Anthony Richardson. I, I get that comp, and I think some of these comps, you your first reaction is like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" It, you're telling me Anthony Richardson's going to be the next Josh Allen? That's not necessarily what the comp is. It's more about traits instead of just like calling your shot of what the guy will be in the NFL. I find this interesting, though, Jimmy. I went back to the 2018 draft, and I'm like, let me find some comps heading into that draft, the comparisons. We all love that. And it didn't quite work out the way that some thought it would, okay? So there are some comps for uh, Baker Mayfield. The comp was Russell Wilson in terms of improvisational traits. You know, you can improvise and – do you think Baker Mayfield's been on a Russell Wilson improvisational level or pretty much anything else level in the NFL? I would say he's been better than last year's Russ, but that's not saying much. So outside, outside of that, no. no I, I was wondering where you were going with that tone of voice. Like, sounds like pushback Jimmy over here. No, no, no. no. no I, would I, not, got you. I would not crown him in that regard, no. no. Okay, the cop for Josh Rosen. Oh, man. Fizzled out right away. Eli Manning. Brutal. Said both Brutal. poised, accurate, and intelligent pocket mm. passers. Didn't work out for Josh Rosen. Um, Josh Allen. What was Bills quarterback Josh Allen's comparison when he was heading into the NFL? Carson Wentz. And the write-up I read said, Josh Allen, not quite as accurate as Ben Roethlisberger, isn't as mobile as Cam Newton. How did both of those things turn out? <laughs> So this is a really back-to-back tough stretch of comps there. Even if you want to flush the Russell Wilson one, that's brutal. Uh, Did not end very well for that. uh, I don't know if it's Mel Kuyper or who it was that's doing this comp, but not great. Not great work there. And the last one, this was a a Bleacher Report uh, column. Okay. And a lot of people go, oh, well, there you go. Trust me. Not only Bleacher Report with the comps that didn't turn out to be correct. Uh, Josh, uh, I'm sorry, the last one, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, his comp heading into the 2018 draft, Andrew Luck. It says, 
accurate passers that can make every throw both natural leaders. I mean, he's got an early retirement likely lined up soon, so I mean, it's at least that compel him. Oh, hey, 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 hey. Low blow, Jimmy Cook. I kind of like it, though. (laughs) I figured you would. Yeah. You know what these comps have in common, though? They're all trash. Yeah, they are. They're all trash, but also it shows you the tendency to be comfortable giving the nod to the big school guys and shunning the small school guys. I'm not telling you every big school quarterback doesn't pan out and every small school quarterback does. I'm not telling you that. I'm just telling you it's more comfortable to say glowing things about the big name school quarterbacks and like, oh, Josh Allen, I'm this jabroni over here. Like, It really is. It's just more comfortable. And it's something to keep in mind when you're looking at this current quarterback class, when you're thinking about Josh, uh, uh, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, big name schools, Bama, Ohio State, and it's like little piddly Kentucky that recruited me and you know gave Eddie Garrison a call to see if he could line up in the slot this sure, year. Yes, you know what sir. I'm saying? Like, it's just different. And to be clear, I know you're advising and and teaching the masses here you're not teaching me because i've told you my whether you want to say disdain or my criticisms towards will levis are not he played at kentucky like i i totally agree with you that's not a fair way to judge it and it is easy you put your feet back a kentucky quarterback what's (laughs) happening there Uh, what's next a kentucky wide receiver look i get it i know it's very easy to do that's not my hang up with him but you're right it is happening and is it fully fair no it, it shouldn't be viewed that way it should be viewed as what you've seen from just him on tape do you like what you see can you correct what you've seen and also if you want to go the supporting cast route man he didn't have a ton at Kentucky unfortunately for the Colts I don't think that's necessarily a massive upgrade in terms of offensive weapons that you'd like to have but hey maybe he ends up at a spot where they have a number one wide receiver established and he shines who knows yeah it's possible I do have a list that's even better Jimmy for comps it's not comps, it's rankings for the 2018 draft. This is from The Ringer. I'll get into this with you coming up next. I couldn't make this up. I literally I almost fell over today. I was eating breakfast. I literally almost fell over like looking at these lists and how wrong it turned out to be. Let me just tell you this, sneak peek. Josh Allen The Bills quarterback did not rank anywhere near where he should have heading into the draft compared to where he is right now. What was for breakfast? That's the bigger question I have here. You know what? I screwed up. My girl made me a sausage for breakfast, and I had some toast. And about on my third sausage patty, I had four of them. On my third one, she goes, baby, it's Friday. And I'm like, no, no, I forgot. And then I had the fourth sausage patty. There you go. <laughs> there it is. Like, <laughs> I'll swap them out. No meat in the, for the entire month of April. I screwed up. But well, it's uh, not yeah. April. It's not. Well, it's not. But he's I planning. will. He's planning. Yeah, yeah I'm planning. Uh, Tony, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to swap out a couple of weeks in April is, is what I'll do. All right, we get to the uh, rankings right around the corner. And also, I saw something about um, tanking slash draft ping pong balls in the NBA. Just the odds. Kind of interesting where the Pacers are and where they could go. We'll lay that out for you around the corner as well. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. It's a slow build. Slow build with Iron Man over there. A little kick drum, you know. Let's just go with the kick drum for a good, I don't know, four to eight 
little thuds, and then we're not in a hurry over here. Black Sabbath. You know, we'll it, take our time. It's a it's a timeless intro, but I heard you start to laugh when you realized that Eddie did start it from the beginning as it deserves. <laughs> and you knew we were going to have about the five, six, seven kick drums before we got to the payoff. <laughs> yeah, that's OK. It was good. Oh, yeah. It was a good selection by Eddie. But yeah, it's a it's a slow burn right there. Slow build. OK, so let's start with hoops here and we'll get back to the uh, 2018 rankings list, which is just comedy and something to keep in mind when you're thinking about the quarterback list in 2023. But uh, the Pacers, so they're in action tonight against Oklahoma City. And if you're of the betting kind, I'm noticing that last night, the the Thunder, they started off as three-point favorites down to two-point favorites on the road over there. You indulging in this game here, Jimmy? You thinking? Maybe? So, so shout out to my nephew, Declan, and my uh, brother-in-law, Kyle. I'm going to tonight's game. So I okay, will be nice. placing some type of wager just because when I'm at live events, I like to at least have something going on, particularly first basket bets. I love first basket wow. bets because they reveal mm. two things. They reveal the type of better you are, but they also reveal how many betters are around you. Because if you go to an NBA game or even a college game when they allow it, if you look around the arena, you will see where the betters are because they will all be ooing and eyeing who gets that first touch. Is it a post feed to Miles Turner? Is it a buddy healed three? It it is electric and you know where those fans are if they have money on that particular Have you had success betting first basket props? I have. Uh, It's not like a glowing resume track record, but I have hit a first basket prop or two before. Man, it's just such a crapshoot to me. We're putting like, like, you know, two to five bucks on this. We're not like, I'm not putting the like, you know, seven (laughs) units on first basket. I'm not living that dangerously. You know what I mean? Uh, By the way, in terms of the tank odds, we've been big on this train here, Jimmy. We are team ping, as we talked Mm -hmm. about earlier, team ping pong balls. Want to see as many losses as possible. So where the Pacers are, they're seventh right now. What's really interesting to me is the spots five, six, and seven. So right now they're in the seventh spot. They have a 7.5% chance to get the first overall pick. It bumps up if you're number sixth, number sixth in the pecking order, to 9.7%. Number five is 9.8%. So I know it's radio, and I know some of these numbers, it just sounds like, well, wow, 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 wow. But where the, the Pacers are, they're in this little uh, pocket, if you will. Numbers five through seven, where they project to end up based on them resting players and other teams resting guys. They're probably in that five to seven range in terms of, where their record will slot them when the ping pong balls come around, right? So it's like number five and number six are almost identical. You get a 9.8 shot with number five, 9.7 shot with number six. It falls down number seven where the Pacers are right now to 7.5. So you really want to get to at least that six spot if you can. And you're not officially clear yet of the Wizards in terms of, to your point, being comfortable at seven. Like, I want the increase, but the absolute last thing I want is dropping a percentage and a half to 6% at number one if they somehow wind up swapping with where Washington is in the pecking order. Again, if you're not a stats guy or the percentages bore you, let's just say if you knew you had an opportunity to win the lottery and 
you were going to get like a hundred extra chances or like a hundred yeah. extra tickets at it. Sure. You'd take that, you'd sign up for it. And that's basically where we're at in terms of these percentages in layman's terms for what could happen if the Pacers end up losing out. Yeah, they are. I don't know the best way to say it. So they are a half game behind in in the 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 lottery odds yes. right in the it's like i don't know the best way to say it because they are they're looking up at teams with worse records than them yeah. <laughs> they're they're a half game behind uh orlando and the blazers they're a game and a half ahead yeah. of the wizards in terms of the the lottery standings, right? Right. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like the reverse order yeah. of what you would see in the standings. Yeah, when you're looking at trying to actually make the playoffs, you want to know, okay, in this situation, how many games are left? And, oh, I've already lost one. They still have another game to play. You know, there, there's only a, a, a handful of a chance that they're going to be able to make up that ground. I've already committed a loss. In this case, when you do the reverse, you look at the uh, situation right now with the Portland Trailblazers and the Orlando Magic with that half game lead. The mm-hmm. Pacers have played one more game than those two teams and they have won one more game than those two teams. Meaning that it's already out of their hands right now. If they lose out and Portland Orlando loses out, the Pacers are stuck at seven. They already have a game in hand the other way. It's all very confusing, but all you gotta yeah. do is flip it and think the inverse right. of the standings. What I find really interesting is when something significant happens and you don't know it. Yes. Meaning, like, what if it's a tiebreaker situation with, say, the Pacers and the Magic and some random November game where it's like, oh, yeah, remember when the Pacers won by nine <laughs> on the road against the Magic? And you're like, no, certainly don't remember that. Well, yeah, that was one of the reasons why this team had more ping pong balls, and it led to them getting the number one overall pick in Wimbenyama. You know what I mean? I just think it's it's really fascinating with something. It doesn't even seem significant at all at the time, and it could be down the road a matter of months later. Doesn't matter if you're playing for draft picks as a fan. Doesn't matter if you're playing for postseason positioning. People want to say, ah, it doesn't really matter until we get into March, into April. No, it matters the whole year because if you trip up in November, regardless of which one you're rooting for, and in trip up in November, we're talking about a win here for for Team Ping. But when that happens, yeah, it can be the difference between even a slight increase of your chances to get in that range for the top pick. By the way, loaded show today. Tim Kirkchin from ESPN. Talk some baseball with him at 1. Eddie Gill talking Pacers at 1.30. And also Frank Martin. You know, the scowl, right? Frank Martin used to be at Kansas State and South Carolina. Went to the Final Four with South Carolina. He's currently at UMass as their head coach. But the scowl. He'll talk some college hoops with us at 2.30. Fun fact about Frank Martin. Diehard Dolphins fan. Really? It's true. Yes. Diehard. Have you have you chatted with him before? Or I have is that not. In your own own. I have research? not. I'm looking forward to breaking down Tua. <laughs> you know what does the Jalen Ramsey trade do for the Finns? You know, <laughs> and then we'll get to hey, who do you like in the final four? All right, coach, take care. We'll see you. <laughs> as long as you get your dolphin fix, I'm happy. Yeah. By the way, we were talking to Scott Agnes yesterday about the Pacers, and I love how he put it. It was very professional. I was talking to him about tanking, you know, the Pacers tanking right here, and he said, you know, I'd call it prioritizing development, (laughs) (laughs) and I love that. I think if we were to take just random terms and to put it in like a, a 2023, like really fancy, maybe PC way, 
you know, what could we come up with here? What do you think, Jimmy? You want to throw out some <laughs> some terms and can have some inflated <laughs> names? What, what do you think? I, 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 I threw out stealing gas. What do you think? How do you think about this? Prioritizing economic overflow. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds way fancier. And it's almost like you're at a five-star dinner and uh, when you're talking about stealing gas. You know what I mean? So I like that. In terms of tanking, no, prioritizing development is what we're going with here. If I am being lazy. No, I'm, I'm not being lazy. I'm advancing my mental capacities is what's happening there. Okay. That's, that's what there we're you doing. go. Okay. Come on. Yeah. That works. Um, instead of yawning, I am, um, I'm exercising my brain is what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> did I watch basketball? I know I was studying. It was very important. I was, <laughs> I was studying. That was not as fancy, but it's as true as, as any of the other ones. <laughs> I was, um, I was engaging in visual intake. Yep. How do you think of that? I like that one. That That's cleaner. That's, 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 it's nice. It's good stuff from you. I, you know what? You might be able to watch a game or two with that. Instead of, hey, baby, I'm going to watch the game. And maybe, baby, I'm going to engage in some visual intake. You know? Maybe it just, she's like, what are you doing? And, and you're out of the room before, before she's figuring out. You're just watching ball, you know? All right, coming up next, got some hilarious sound for you. There's an NFL tight end that you're very fond of, uh, uh, Jimmy. Uh, we'll get, to you, get you some hilarious audio of that guy. And I owe you this list. This is freaking comedy. The list of 2018 quarterback prospects where people had them ranked before the draft and where they rank right now, it is food for freaking thought when we apply it to the 2023 draft. That's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, Jimmy. Brian No and Jimmy Cook with you here on The Fan. So I ran across this list from The Ringer. These are the quarterback rankings for the 2018 NFL draft. Remember that draft? They had five first-round quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and then Lamar Jackson. And so I I just was digging this morning because I was curious. I went down this path, Jimmy, where um, I saw a, a column written about quarterback comps for the quarterbacks in this upcoming draft. And I started thinking, you know what? I wonder what the comps turned out to be in previous drafts. So I just looked at 2018. And then I revealed this. uh, I saw this list of the way the quarterbacks were ranked. And oh, my gosh. Okay, so some of these people for the ringer. um, And they get a lot of stuff right over there, by the way. But Jack McCluskey, this was his ranking for the 2018 QBs. Baker, number one. Lamar, two. Darnold, three. Rosen, four. Anyone else five not ranked Josh Allen? (laughs) He had anyone else instead of Josh Allen. I like this one too. Ben Glixman. Number one, wait two years for Tua. Two is Josh Rosen. Three, Baker. Four, Lamar. Five, Kenny Trill. Wow. Oh, that's brutal. I mean, really bad. Yeah, look, I, I mean the the rankings and the comps is a very dangerous game. If you are not like a, a top shelf either mock draft or analyst, whatever the case may be, 
it, it can be very tempting to look at a player like in your case this year, Will Levis, or like Josh Allen, and be like, yeah, hey, you know, there's a lot of stuff I don't like on film, and on top of that, I mean, look at where he's coming from, look at the pedigree, I will rather have anybody but this guy, and you can wind up with egg on your face when you go and review that three, four, five years later down the line. Yeah, it's really interesting what the common belief was at the time and what turned out to be. A lot of times it does not match up. There are a couple others. This 2018 draft, the rankings, according to the ringer, Uh, Danny Heifetz. I apologize. I'm not trying to be cute, but these were his rankings. Uh, Rosen one, Baker two, Lamar third, Darnold fourth, Kyle Lauletta fifth. And then things I do not believe the Browns can teach Josh Allen how to competently play quarterback in the NFL. He had Lauletta ranked ahead of Josh Allen. Just think about that for a second. There's another one. Michael Bauman. Lamar first. Baker second. Rosen third. Mason Rudolph fourth. (laughs) Fifth. John McEntee? I don't even remember. It says the former UConn trick shot quarterback. He had that guy ranked ahead of Josh Allen. But look, the the glaring truth behind all these mocks that you're giving out is that the the hate and the criticisms towards Josh Allen were <sighs> extreme yes. during that draft class. The only one that I agree with anything of the ones you've read off to this point, or at least in this segment, I I don't really believe in the Browns. I don't know that Josh Allen becomes the quarterback that he is today in Cleveland. And and if that's what that line was that you read, then I I agree with that part. But I don't agree with the massive gap that's that's there for him. uh, I think he would have panned out. I hear what you're saying, but I think he would have panned out even in Cleveland. Because that's the thing is, Baker Mayfield had real talent yeah. to work with real talent it's not like it was a barren destitute place like he had the best one-two combo to work with with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the backfield he's got at one time Odell Beckham Jr. Jarvis Landry to throw to David and Joku he had dudes yep. he had one of the best offensive lines in front of him and he still couldn't get it done. So if you give Josh Allen all of that, yes, yes, he's absolutely panning out. And it's not like Buffalo was a factory over there before Josh Allen got there. They had some lean years before he got there. I guess my larger point is that the tools around him, I guess what I'm kind of leaning with there, the comp is bad, it's all bad, is that I give a lot of credit to both Josh Allen and and to Buffalo's staff for helping him develop as an accurate passer. I don't just solely put that on his work ethic. That had a lot to do with it, but I I, I give credit to the Bills more so than I think I would have at the time given a belief to the Browns that they would be able to improve his accuracy regardless of him having more weapons than he did in Buffalo. Man, and I give credit to the people who were not sheep at the time. You know, it was just so trendy, so fashionable to talk trash about Josh Allen and, oh, no, I don't believe in this guy. And a lot of people saying that just went along with the trend. Yeah. I mean, really, it's you weren't breaking down film. You weren't really watching the guy in college. You're just going along with what everybody else is saying. And I'm sensing the same thing with Will the Thrill Levis over here. It's fashionable. Whether he pans out or not, we'll see. 
But you can't argue, it is completely fashionable. It is in season. It is the hottest new dance move or fashion, like, shirt to wear, whatever. Like, it is fashionable to talk trash about Will the Thrill Levis. No, it, it definitely is. But it's also very easy to try to get into a hipster mentality and go away from the <laughs> grain and be like, ah, I see what everybody else isn't seeing. And then all of a sudden, that guy's the one that looks like they have the mock that they did while they were half asleep. Hey. Or, excuse me, fine-tuning their Mental faculties. My, my apologies. We we shall see. We'll see how it turns out in the next, I don't know, three to five years with Will Levis. It'll yeah. be a lot of fun. All right, coming up next, we will pay off insane audio. Just hilarious. Uh, we'll get to it in the next segment, an NFL tight end uh, trying to identify coaches in the NFL. It's very, very funny with local ties, actually, on that. But coming up, Tim Kirkchen from ESPN breaking down opening day. In MLB, very much looking forward to that. What do you think about the new rules? It's on the way. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Tim Kirkchen, ESPN MLB writer and analyst. Joins us here on the show. Tim, I'd imagine... Like, you geek out on that music over there. That's a wrong phrase. You, you get fired up for that. Like, baseball season, it just sounds like baseball when you hear that. Does it not? Uh, y- yes, it sounds like baseball. And, yes, I'm easily geeked up about the game, especially <laughs> especially after an opening day like yesterday and with what we have to look forward to. I'm 66, and I, I still love this stuff. I can't help it. No, that's awesome, man. What did you think? I mean, obviously, the first one is the new rules, uh, quicker games, a lot more action. Uh, What did you think about not only the pitch clock, but overall the new rule changes? Well, I did a lot of new rule changes in stuff in Florida and Arizona for spring training, and I was pleasantly surprised with, with how quickly the players made the adjustment to the pitch clock. Aaron Boone told me after a week of games, he said, we played a game in Orlando yesterday, he said, and they didn't even have a pitch clock because they didn't have the technology in the ballpark. And we still played in two and a half hours because the players were already conditioned to let's get in the box and go, let's get on the mound and let's go. And that's a really good sign. So I didn't see anything terrible that happened yesterday something terrible is going to happen somebody's going to lose a game on a pitch violation but i i think we've gotten to the point where it looks like this has a chance to really work and i sure hope so because if you can shave not necessarily minutes off the game but the dead time out of the game and if we can get more action into the game that's kind of what we're looking for here Tim, we had roughly a steal and a half uh, per game of stolen base attempts yesterday. Teams went 21 for 23. I know that was anticipated that teams would try to pressure that aspect of the game because of the pitch clock and pitchers being so focused on getting the ball in play. How do pitchers adapt to that, or what will be the adaptation, if any, to try to uh, contain those that want to try to steal bases? Right. It's going to be a challenge. I don't anticipate stolen bases going way up this year. I talked to Max Scherzer, uh, the mad scientist, and I mean that in the best possible way. And he told me the bigger bases and all that. He said, it just means I have to be 
instead of one three to the plate, I have to be one point two nine to the plate. That is a microscopic difference because he's already done the math on this. But <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's great that players are actually thinking more often. Maybe we can steal a base here with the throwover rule and the disengagement rule. Um, there's just a real chance now we'll get more action and more running and more athleticism into the game, which is what we were looking for all along. These guys are bigger, stronger, faster, and better than they've ever been. We need to see them do more things than just throw 100 miles an hour and hit a ball over a fence. We need to watch them run, and maybe this will be the case. But I repeat, I just don't think um, that we're going to see a ton more stolen bases, Mm -hmm. but a few more would be great. Is there anything about the rule changes, Tim, that you don't love all the way? Meaning you're not out on the rule change entirely, but there's just one little portion of it that you're not quite on board with. Well, it's the old rule, the runner on second base, the ghost runner in the 10th inning. I'm sorry. I, I will never be a fan of that rule. It just is completely foreign to what baseball has been played like for the first 140 years. It's unnecessary, but it looks like it's here to stay, and um, I'm learning to deal with it. But I it. This really don't get bigger bases. I understand what they're trying to do here, but I don't think that is necessary. And I I worry a little bit from all the players I talked to this spring that, you know, a slightly bigger bag might affect somebody sliding into second. And now the the bag is four inches wider or a second baseman. So used to going to the bag, knowing exactly where it is and what size it is. He might get a spike caught under the bag because it's a bigger bag now. I I just don't understand it. I'm not totally against it. I just think the other bases were just fine. And to me, there's a noticeable difference between the old base and the pizza box that's down <laughs> on the bases now. The Hall of Famer, Tim Kirchner. Nice enough to take some time with us. Writer, analyst for ESPN, ESPN.com, covering the MLB. Tim, for you here in this state, it's kind of a melting pot of fandom. We have a number of different storied franchises all around us. Cubs, White Sox, Cardinals, Reds. When you look at the conglomerate of those four teams, where are your feelings of expectations for those four, and who do you think has the best chances for for a long, healthy, successful season here in 2023? Right. Well, the Cubs are are much better than they were last year. That doesn't mean they're going to make the playoffs because I don't think they are. But I really liked what I saw and what I heard from the Cubs this spring. But, again, a lot is going to depend on Cody Fellinger finding his swing again. And he's it's been lost for a couple years now. And Eric Hosmer making a comeback, too, and being a productive hitter again. Those are pretty big ifs at this point. But still, I like where the Cubs are going. I like their offseason moves. Love Dansby Swanson at short. They're heading in the right direction. The White Sox have to be better than they were last year. Uh, they can't be and, and I expect them to be but maybe not significantly better. I still think the Guardians are the best team in that division. The Reds are going to struggle this year. That's obvious, but at least they're going to struggle with young players on the way up. They're going to give them hope from Hunter Green on down. should be fun to watch. And the fourth team is the Cardinals. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, the Cardinals are very good. Uh, even though they lost the game yesterday and gave up – 
and runs and bullpen gave it up and and Miles Michaelis wasn't very good at the start. They're a very good team. And once they get completely healthy and get everyone going, I think they'll win that division. I think they're better than the Brewers. They're better than the Cubs. They're certainly better than the Reds and the Pirates. So I think there's a lot to like on the teams that you guys are following. Reds pitcher Hunter Green hit 105.2 miles per hour on a pitch yesterday. 105.2, that's insane. Uh, That blew my mind. Either that or anything else with opening day, what player blew your mind, Tim Kirchin? Well, first off with Hunter Green, anyone who throws over 100 miles an hour and is that big and that young and that athletic, you have to be really, really excited about him. And yet, people put that 100 miles an hour in play. He's going to need a little bit more movement with that 100-mile-an-hour fastball because the old cliche is today's hitters can really time a bullet. They can time an airplane once they figure out hey, it's straight, we can figure out the velocity. So that's one guy. And and the other guy was Dylan Cease last night. Anyone who didn't see Dylan Cease last night, that that was ridiculous how good his stuff is. And Roger Clemens in the booth is going, whoa, things like that. That that just shows you how impressive Dylan Cease's stuff was last night. Of course, we saw it all last year when he, you know, was in the Cy Young running, but when you throw that hard with that kind of movement, um, there's an awful lot to like there. Tim Kirchin taking some time with us. Tim, one of my relatives has never been a big baseball fan, but points to the length of games decreasing uh, around two hours, 45 minutes, I think was 15 or so games yesterday. I know that's the intent of Major League Baseball, but as you look at these rule changes for you, somebody that is as diehard as they come, as, as truly loves the game in its purest form, what is your selling point to fans that were maybe on the fence but there's not a ton going on during the summer months and baseball is as good as any to hit your wagon to. How do you sell that to them? Well, you, you sell it to them by saying these rule changes are designed in part to bring back the value of the hit. I think we've lost the value of the hit. You know, we don't really care who the batting champion is these days. And when I was growing up and Rod Carew and then later, of course, Tony Gwynn, Wade Boggs would win batting titles, Ichiro, that was a big deal. Well, it's not a big deal anymore, and it should be because the hit – once we return that value of the hit, and this is what the, the change in the, in the shift rule is hopefully going to do. A hard ground ball up the middle might be a hit now. A hard ground ball to the right of the first baseman might be a hit. When a ball's put in play like that, that's really good. And that's what we're trying to get here, fellas. We're trying to get more balls in play. We're trying to watch guys run first to third or score from second on a single. That's what people like. That's how I would sell it to people. You don't need necessarily – a faster game. You need a better game, a game with more action and less dead time, and that's the hope here. You know, Tim, I haven't heard a whole lot of criticism about the new rules from the people who have covered the game for a, a long, long time. And I know not everybody, it's not universal Universal that everybody loves the rules all across the board, but is there a sense that you get where hey, let's highlight the good. Let's highlight what we do like instead of just belly aching and complaining and making it like, oh, this isn't the place we want to be. More so like highlight the good of the game instead of just belly aching about the stuff you don't like. Yeah, I think we're seeing quite a bit of that because, again, I think the game needed some help. 
And this is the first time I've said that in a long time. And when people are reaching out to say, all right, we can make it better, uh, I think we should. Now, again, fellas, this could all blow up here. If we have a (laughs) pitch violation that ends a game and people are going crazy like they did, you know, the second day of spring training this year, that, that could change the narrative tremendously. If we find that the shift rule isn't working and teams are working around it, you know, that, that we're going to hear the negative once we, once we see a bunch more games. But I, I talked to so many people this spring who told me, to, the, to some effect, uh, after a month, no one's even going to be talking about the rule changes. That's how easy these guys are going to be able to adjust to them. And, again, I'll believe that when I see it, but I really like what I saw in spring training and what we saw yesterday. Tim, we were talking about uh, uh, snacks and other fun things yesterday. With, <laughs> with, with it being opening day, are, are you just a classic hot dog and, and Cracker Jack guy, or is oh, there wow, a particular yeah. spot in the MLB and all its beautiful parks that, that has the best chow that you can find? Well, you know, I get asked this once in a while, and I have to avoid the question because I don't eat in the ballpark. I eat in the the press box because that's that's where the food is. So I don't take my time to go stand in the line for 15 minutes and miss, you know, an inning and a half when I can just go get a meal at in the press box. Having said that, the Broadworth at uh, Miller Park, and especially at the old county stadium in Milwaukee, with the secret sauce is just to die for. So um, I, I had many, many of those over the years. And the great part, when I used to cover a team every day and we'd go to, you know, to County Stadium in Milwaukee, those brats with the secret sauce were in the press box during the game. So that's my favorite ballpark food right there. Does it bother you, Tim, when uh, you're singing Take Me Out to the Ballpark when someone says Cracker Jack's? Yeah, it's a singular. It's Cracker Jack, um, you know. And I, you know, it's like RBIs. Sorry, it's still there's still an <laughs> S on the end of that for me. It's there you go. Like, yeah, it's like POWs. You know, no one ever said that a hundred POW came home from World War II. Okay? <laughs> that's right. Yes. POWs. So that that's my. So, and again, RBIs, all that, it, it, I'm fine. And Cracker Jacks, well, you can call it whatever you want as long as you're singing it in the bottom of the seven. There you go. Absolutely. Well, hey, Tim, appreciate the time, man. Always good to catch up with you. And enjoy the season, man. Hope to catch you again sometime soon here. Okay, fellas. See you. Thanks, Tim. All right, there he is, Tim Kirchin, ESPN MLB writer and analyst, baseball Hall of Famer. That was fun. That was a great walk-off right there. You know, he's right. I'm RBI's guy. You, Jimmy? You don't go RBI, do you? No, you do. I, no I, I, I sense I, We'd it. have to play back the tape because I, I don't want to, like, fake it. However, I said it to Tim. I said Cracker Jack, but I think I said Cracker Jack. No, you Jacks. said it right. That's what, I said no, Jacks. No, no. I added the S. No, no, you didn't. You said it singular. I did? I did? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely how I guess I am. You did. I guess. I don't know. But do you go RBI's? No, I, th- I think I go RBI's. Uh, okay, good. I'm so pretty you, you, you put the S there. I know I did. No, I, I don't think I go RBI. I think I go RBI's. That's what I asked He's you. Leading like, the league. Well, I know, but Eddie's questioning what I'm saying. Now, I'm having two people questioning <laughs> what I'm saying. RBI's is what I believe I say. Yes. You put I think the it's S. an RBI if it's singular for right. one run batted in, but when you're saying like he's got 42 RBIs. Right. If I said he's leading the league, I would not say me personally. He's leading the league in RBI. I would say he's leading the league in RBIs. Correct. That's right. Okay. Absolutely All right. right. Because that's the thing. You're just making the, the, the initials plural. 
That's it. Right. Like you're not saying runs batted ins. You're saying there are multiple Correct. runs batted in. Correct. I don't know why people get tripped up on that. I don't get it. I don't know either, but I feel like it's one of those that drives people mad, obviously, from your standpoint. But I'm also there's sure there's people in that camp, nobody in this room, that are like, no, 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 it's RBI. You're, you're wrong. The one thing I that lo- drives me bonkers when people talk about baseball, it's like, oh, yeah, they got a point. So, oh, no, no, you no, can't no, no, do no, that. That's that, not, not a point. No, that's not a point. That has not. sports ball uh, uh, territory written all over it. No, can't, yeah, can't do that's, that. No. I like Tim's argument, though. POWs. That's right. No one says 42 POW yeah. came back. Like, no. that Brilliant man, that Tim Kirkchen right there. Hall of Famer. Like Brilliant. Hall right of there. Famer, yes. Um, he mentioned a couple of things here. The ghost runner on second base. I was thinking about that. What would be the equivalent in football? If we got to overtime in football, what would be the equivalent to a ghost runner on second base? Where he's really right about that. We haven't had that for a long time. It is so radically different than the way baseball has been played for so long. I'll be honest with you, I don't completely hate it just because we move things along in the regular season. It is entertaining. I get why purists would hate that rule. I totally understand that, and that's fine. But I'm just trying to think of what would be the equivalent in football that would come close to a ghost runner in baseball? Kicking extra points or field goals without a defense out there. I don't know that you can come up with something. That's the thing. I I don't want to say... Because you can say you put the ball at like the 20 or 25, but they do that in college, so it's not like a totally foreign right. idea. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it is like college overtime in a way. The ghost runner on second base. Um, something else that we talked about, Hunter Green, the Reds pitcher. So get this. So he threw a pitch 105.2 miles per hour. 105 is what he threw. And, but I looked at his stat line, three and a half innings pitched, or three, three and a third, I should say. Uh, five hits, three earned runs, three walks, one home run against the Pirates. And I just started thinking, I think Anthony Richardson is going to be the Hunter Green okay. Oh, okay. of NFL quarterbacks. Okay, chill, chill. No, that's what chill, I think. Chill, that's what I think. Chill. I think you're going to have a specimen that does some things like, he just threw the ball 74 yards. Are you serious? Yeah, he's going to do some special things. But at the end of the day, you're going to look at his stat line, and he's going to be 13 for 31, 168 yards, uh, two interceptions. He had one rushing touchdown, but oh, and a fumble. I think he's going to be like Hunter Green in the NFL. I, I do. I, I strongly disagree. I also feel like that you're in dangerous territory of you're, you're making this whole layout case for why Will Levis is, is kind of beaten down and why he's he is the easy thing to hate on. But then you sprinkle in similar things to what people are doing to Levis, to Richardson from your point of view. And then we go back five years from now. And if Richardson's Josh Allen, you're all of a sudden Matt, whatever his name was from, from the ringer or wherever we got that last mock that had Will Levis and Hennon uh, uh, Hooker above Anthony Richardson. In the, well, in his now here's the benefit of audio. This medium, unless someone's rolling right now. Oh, he is. It's over he and is. done with. He you is. Know? He, oh, believe me, he is. <laughs> How much tape have you stockpiled over there, Eddie? Uh, I can't reveal that. Is that why he was busy earlier today? Well, who is to huh? say? Who is to He's say? He's cutting up audio of me evaluating 2023 quarterbacks here. No, I do. Like, look, man, time will tell. But I think the boom-bust factor, no one can argue this. That's certainly the case with Anthony Richardson. It is boom yes. or bust. Yes. And 
I see tremendous tools. There's no doubt. I see some tremendous playmaking ability at the NFL level with what he has. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's got great athleticism. I think he's going to deliver some jaw-dropping plays at times. But the consistency... I just don't think it's going to be there. I do. Some people are just like, oh, now slow it down here. No. What is wrong with that? If you look at Hunter Green, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Jaw-dropping ability. The tools. 105.2 miles per hour. That's insane. And he didn't do anything collectively against the Pirates yesterday. I mean, you could throw a similar criticism if you want to use that same analogy for Will Levis. He has a cannon for an arm is what people say on the scouting report. Maybe he has some epic deep bombs to let's put him here in Indianapolis. Maybe he's in Alec Pierce down the sideline. But if he's getting... And you'd have to judge it based on the tape. How much was the offensive line's fault? How much was his fault? If he's holding on to the ball too long and he's mm-hmm. taking an insane amount of sacks, uh, the same could be used against Levis. And both, by the way, are probably unfair. There are unfair criticisms mm. that you can camp for both Levis and Richardson. But you're arguing, and it's factual because you see it every day on television, a lot of the mainstream content is anti-Levis, anti-Levis, anti-Levis. It's, yeah. all, it's all around. Well, it is. And look, to be fair, Will Levis or Anthony Richardson could turn out to be the Hunter Green version of NFL quarterbacks. Great ability, some jaw-dropping plays, but just not the consistency that you're looking for. Yeah, they're both capable of doing that. I just think with Levis in particular, you surround him with better talent than he had surrounding him at Kentucky. I think what with what he brings to the table, throwing off platform, you know, buying some time, you know, those sandlot plays, if you will. And a lot of this, like diagnosing defenses, reading coverage, feeling the blitz, a lot of that is tied to the talent or lack thereof around you. So I am just of the belief you surround him with better talent, you're going to get better results. But time will tell if that's yeah. right or not. That's just an opinion. It's not a fact. I have the solution, by the way. At least my new idea of what would be as ridiculous as the ghost runner on second. Okay. Ten apple before you can rush. Or five apple before <laughs> you can rush. They're taking it back to the schoolyard. That's that's the most ridiculous one I could think of. Because you can't you can't say, oh, let's put a wide receiver off sides. Or, or yeah, look. He'd basically be offsides, but false start, whatever you want to penalize him as, at the 30, yeah. and you're, you have the ball at the 50, right? Like, you, you couldn't really do that. That'd be too insane. So let's say, yeah, seven apple before you could rush. There you go. Now, what did you do rushing the quarterback? I think we went five Mississippi. Were you Apple? Were you uh, school? interchangeable? But Apple or Mississippi? Yeah, five Apple Mississippi, or Mississippi or five Apple. One Apple, two Apple, three Apple, four Apple, man, five man, Apple. You're going five Apple is a lot different than five Mississippi. I feel like it is. Depends. Uh, <laughs> faster game, Fa- different generation, faster game. <laughs> and everybody rushing was always like five Mississippi. It wasn't even Mississippi. It was five Mississippi. No, no. Three you're taking off by the time you get the five out of your mouth. Yeah, yeah. no yeah. doubt. Crazy those pass rusher cheaters <laughs> over there. So your guy Travis Kelsey. Uh, Chiefs tight end. Yes. He was doing his podcast with his brother, Jason Kelsey. So this is the New Heights podcast. And Great it was listen. hilarious, man. It, it is. It's a lot of fun. They have. They were looking at a team picture. Well, not a team picture. Coach's picture. Coach's oh. picture. As if it's a team picture, but it's just NFL coaches, right? And so Travis Kelsey is just trying to identify <laughs> who these guys are. And the Chiefs tight end, not the greatest. He's like, I'm horrible with names. I'm the worst. I can name teams. Yep. And so he just go be like, Packers, Bills. Who is that? Right. <laughs> yeah. like, and some of the who is that was hilarious. Here's one of his reactions. Who the f- 
is that guy? <laughs> That's Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels, who yep. we did not recognize at all. Here's another one. Uh, again, never seen this guy in my life. <laughs> So that was former Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon. He's now the Arizona Cardinals head coach. And uh, Travis Kelsey had no idea who that guy was. This is funny, too. Nothing. I've never seen that man in my life. (laughs) So good. The funny thing, I don't know who it is. Like I'm pretty good. Like these coaches are pretty distinct for the most part. I'll have to send you guys this picture or put it on Twitter or whatever. But I, I really don't know who it is. I looked through all the coaches. And I'm like, I still don't know who that guy is. But uh, here's another one that's kind of funny. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that guy coaches in the NFL, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Browns head coach. Kevin Stefanski, uh, Travis Kelsey could not identify that guy. And now local ties. Here's one. Yep. Uh, yeah, shout I was going to bring it up. Yep. Yeah, here you go. I mean, three in a row. I have no idea who those dudes are. That was our offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen for the Coles. Come on, Travis. <laughs> yeah, didn't know Shane Steichen there. But uh, the coordinator ones are tough, right? Because it like tough. it's one thing when it's you know Josh McDaniels who at least was on the sidelines as the head coach for the Raiders last year, and you put a played him twice. But how many times did you see him with the Patriots right, too on right, the sideline? Right, yeah, right. But when you look at like an OC that like you're probably not interacting with, particularly if they're upstairs in the booth. It, that was, I'll give Travis a pass on that. But also going through there, I had the same <laughs> issue. There were a couple, particularly the ones he didn't know, where I was like. The one you're talking about, I know exactly which one you're talking about. I can picture it in my head. Yeah. I had no clue who it was. Zero idea. I, I don't know. I, it was bugging me, yeah. too. I'm looking. It's. Let me get the picture here. I know this is radio, but I'll describe it for you. Um, a lot of sunburns in that photo, by the way. That was the yeah. other thing that was talked about. A lot of bald coaches out in Arizona that were, were, were very red on the dome. <laughs> this mystery head coach, it looks kind of like blondish hair, younger guy. And I'm like... Who is this? I don't know who it is. It's bugging me. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have it either. He, he <laughs> also missed, um, and I'm forgetting his name now too. So I'm going to pull the Travis root, and it's just blanking on me. Um, uh, Bengals head coach. Oh, Zach Taylor. He missed Zach Taylor too. Yeah, well. yeah, he did. Yeah. He missed Zach Taylor, but uh, yeah, he got a hint. <laughs> Jason Kelsey was like, "This is a big rival, Argu- arguably your biggest rival." He's like, oh, oh, yeah, that's Bengals. He's a dog. <laughs> he knew him off of, off of the hint. Yep. All right, funny stuff coming up next. Eddie Gill. Former Pacer, current radio analyst. Is he Team Ping? <laughs> like Jimmy and I, Team Ping Pong Balls? You know, we'll talk some Pacers with Eddie right around the corner. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Eddie Gill joining us now. Former Pacer, current radio analyst for the Pacers Radio Network. Also TV analyst on Bally Sports Indiana. Uh, Eddie, thanks for being on the show today. I need some dirt on Eddie Garrison, okay? You work with Eddie on the radio broadcast. I need something I can use against him. Oh, man. For number one, thank you guys for having me. Number two, uh, I, need to do some, I need to do some digging here. He's, uh, <laughs> he's real low-key on, on the radio broadcast. I'm going to have to uh, put some stalkers out on him or something. <laughs> you know, he gave you props. He was like, Eddie Gill, really cool dude, man. Really cool guy. I'm, I'm not even making that up. He was like, he, he speaks yeah. fondly of you. Uh, no, I appreciate that. He's, he's, he's rock solid himself, so I can't, I can't give you some dirt, but uh, no, I appreciate that. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get some dirt. I need to know you better. Then you can give me the dirt. You know what I mean? Like, there I think you, that's what it is. There, there you is. go. Yeah. <laughs> we got trust issues. Yeah, no doubt. You got to know it's, it's okay here. You can trust me. Um, what are you hoping to see from the Pacers from here on out to close the season, Eddie? Yeah, I think uh, overall the the the, the on-the-court goals haven't really changed in, in terms of development of young players. You obviously want to go out there and compete and and, uh, and not necessarily play, you know, the record, but you want to go out there and, and, and play the game as if it's, it's 0-0, if that, if that makes any sense to you, because oftentimes you start, you start getting to the finish line, especially in these scenarios. Um, there, there's, there can be a, a human nature component in which you're just like, hey, I'm just going to go through the motions and just try to get to the finish line. Um, I just want to see, you know, guys go out there and continue to compete hard. Um, seems like obviously the coaching staff continue to, to coach them up hard and, and, uh, and, and continue to make progress because there's great experiences here available to you if you take advantage of it. Otherwise, it, you, could, you could burn this opportunity to, to gain some real valuable experience. Eddie, over these last couple of games, the Pacers' points scored and points allowed have been astronomical through the roof on both sides. Enter tonight, Oklahoma City, another very young, very fast-paced team. Uh, how high of a scoring shootout are you expecting tonight when these two teams take the floor? Man, just when I think that these numbers can't get any more ridiculous, <laughs> they do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and if that trend continues, it, it could be another, you know, game, you know, 120-plus type of game. <laughs> because I think both teams, um, you know, have have that type of firepower and, and ability to do that. That's always something that uh, I find interesting and, in some degree, uh, humorous when when certain players are out. You know, p- people are like, well, where are you going to find scoring? And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, there's other pros on the bench waiting to play, <laughs> <laughs> and, th- and those guys are plenty capable. Now, granted, I definitely understand there's levels to it. Some players are better than others, and that type of thing. But I, I can assure you. You know, when you go to any practice or anything like that, the the first unit they got their hands full with the second unit in terms of trying to stop that team from scoring. So, uh, you you could definitely see that type of night again here tonight. You know, Eddie, it's kind of like the uh, the ugly conversation in the room where it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's going on when the Pacers are resting some of their best players is they're looking for more ping pong balls while developing some of the younger guys. If you're one of those younger guys, are you just excited about getting more minutes and getting an opportunity and that's as far as you think it through? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and yeah, for me, for definitely. Uh, you know, I, I can't be concerned with who's sitting and who's not. I'm just I'm looking for each and every opportunity that's available to it, and, and regardless of the circumstance, um, you know, want to go out there and be able to, to prove your worth and prove your value, to to catapult yourself into to greater opportunity, whether it's the summer if you're a, if you're a free agent or if it's uh, coming into the upcoming season. You want you want to be able to show what you can do uh, and have some some. Some, some film and, and experience to, to really lean on to whether it's your current team. They say, hey, we can trust this guy next season. He could be a, a critical piece to what we do moving forward and or, uh, you know, lobbying and, and really showcasing your talent for other teams. Eddie Gill, the Pacers Radio Network in Valley Sports, Indiana. Nice enough to take a few minutes with us here on The Fan. Eddie, over the course of your 12-year career, you know it was a grind. You put in the work that was necessary to be able to establish yourself in the league. For younger players, I know we're not at the offseason yet, but a lot of promise, a lot of praise at time has been given to this young core the Pacers have established through last year's draft. How do you keep that mentality and that focus 
as a young player in this league when the offseason arrives, knowing that it's not really a break for you, particularly if you are a young player in this league? Yeah, I think you got to go into it with a, a consistent mindset of, hey, I'm going to continue to make some progress within my game as a person, as an individual, uh, and, and showing that you're you know, a high-character individual that's going to go out there and work hard and, and play to the, the fullest of your capabilities and then also take some steps with, within your game. You can't come back doing the same thing. you got to try to introduce new things or, or really um, improve upon your weaknesses, whatever those may be, whether it's offensive, defensive, handling the basketball, shooting the basketball, playmaking, whatever – Whatever those things may be, you want to continue to make progress and, and don't be content with the moment, right? You know, with this, especially the Pacers, they've got some some young guys who've had some real success uh, in this season early on in their careers as rookies and, and, and second year players and so on. You want to be able to continue to to, to make that improvement because uh, there's a million guys that want their jobs and, and, and some of them will come behind them, and whether it's in the draft or free agency. Uh, you look at thinking about summer league opportunities, so there will be guys coming up behind them, really putting some pressure and some heat on them trying to take their job. Indiana guard Jalen hood Shafino announced that he's going to enter the NBA. He announced that today. And for a guy that made that jump to the NBA like you did, Eddie, we know it's a significant jump, but for someone who's been there on the court and faced that competition, how do you put it into words what it's like to go from college to the NBA initially? Yeah, it's a, it's a significant jump. Uh, it's a, a tr- tremendous jump in terms of the speed of the game, the, the size of the players in which they're able to move, the mobility that they have. But a lot of times, there's some certain teams in college they had big guys still playing some traditional, uh, quote unquote, big guy basketball. Um, whereas in the NBA, you have guys six eight, six nine, six ten, and they're handling the basketball as if they're five eleven. Um, you know, and the, the speed of the game is so different. There's a lot more space on the floor. You can't just pack the zone and, and, and try to keep people out of there. Although the NBA, they've gone to their own version of the zone, but you still can't stand in a lane. That's a violation, um, you know, for the whole entire defensive possession. You only got three seconds to get in and out of there. So there's a lot more space to operate in terms of offensively, which, which makes it even more difficult to defend uh, as a defensive player. Um, I, I think those are the, the main keys, and, and, and in that league, you know, there's there's no nights off, right? So you you could be the best player on your team, and I think uh, Jalen is a tremendous. Uh, he was a tremendous point guard for for IU and, and did a great job there, and I think he'll be a, a good pro. Uh, but but for any guys coming from that level to the NBA level, there's significant jumps in terms of uh, what you have to deal with on both ends of the floor. Eddie, I want to zoom out from the Pacers for just a second. We talked about players in the NBA, young players right now trying to improve their game, but there's also a lot of today's youth that have dreams of playing in high school, playing in college, playing in the NBA. And I know that you and your organization all out training have a summer camp going on uh, up at Zionsville Middle, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in June. I wonder if you could yeah. expand on that a little bit uh, for those that are you know, looking for a spot to, to have their kids grow and learn the game more. Yeah, yeah, we do. I appreciate you, you mentioning it. Uh, I do a, a Nike basketball camp every summer and, and uh, actually have some after-school programs during the school year where I've hired coaches and been able to have some, some after-school programs in, in, uh, in, in the Zionsville community as of right now. Um, but this Nike basketball camp that you referenced, it's June 26th through June 30th. Um, it's actually on the verge of selling out. We've, we've done it for several years now, and, and, and now it's gotten to a place where it's, it's got a really nice following. There's been a, a ton of positive feedback and and um, yeah, it, it's something basically coming in and working on the fundamentals of the game. Whether and it's a wide variety of, of participants. You know, some kids hadn't played a, a lot of basketball. 
some kids are playing high level AAU basketball. We always make sure we make sure the kids are in, in their particular group in which their playing experience is, is similar, uh, regardless of age. Um, now, having said that, the age groups are eight to sixteen, and um, you know, again, it's, it's fundamental basketball. And, and I always, whenever I have these opportunities, I look at it as a as a parent. I want to make sure that that my kid has a. a uh, ample amount of reps. He's not standing in line for X amount of time, or and that kind of thing. And then beyond that, we always talk about life lessons using the game of basketball as a vehicle, uh, because the reality is not everybody's going to play professional basketball or even college basketball in that regard. But there's a lot of lessons you can extract from the game and, and incorporate them into your day to day life. So I'm always talking about that throughout the week. Hey Eddie, good stuff, man. Thanks for popping on today. We'll uh, we'll catch you tonight with the game against OKC. Fantastic. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, thank you. There he is, Eddie Gill, former Pacer, current radio analyst for the Pacers Radio Network, TV analyst on Bally Sports Indiana. Looks good on TV, too, you know? So we'll catch him tonight here, Jimmy. Yeah, he does. He, he's he's aware of many hats over there within the Pacers organization. Does a great job both on radio and TV. And yeah, I just love to give the shout out there. Love to highlight those former players or anybody, really, that's trying to expand this game. It, it's obviously being heralded as a global game as it continues to expand. Basketball Without Borders has been a, been a big cause as well throughout the NBA's campaign, but it's nice in local communities to continue to try to grow and develop and also gives you something fun to do during the summer if you're, if you're a, like he said, an 8- to 16-year-old uh, looking to have a good time throughout the summer offseason. And if you're just curious, uh, OKC is back up to a three-and-a-half-point favorite Ooh. on the road now. So the line is fluctuating. One of the highest totals in the NBA tonight, 239-and-a-half. <laughs> you mentioned the maybe 120-plus on both sides, both you and Eddie talking about that. So it's been a score fest lately for the Pacers, no doubt. I think that, too, Jimmy, is we're talking about Jalen hood Shafino, the Indiana guard, declaring today is going to be in the NBA draft. And making that jump from college to the NBA, I don't think it's as much the highlight reel plays that you might be a victim of. You know, like you, someone breaks your ankles and you fall down and you get clowned or someone dunks on you. I think it's the ordinary plays of coming to the realization maybe early in your career of, I cannot guard this guy. Like, no matter yeah. what I do, I cannot guard him. And what Eddie's talking about with the spacing being different and the ball handling being different, I think that has got to be one of the most lonely feelings when you're making that jump from college to the NBA initially. And the thing that makes or breaks, like obviously you were right, we, we weren't in the league, but you talked to former players that have either fizzled out or that haven't had the type of career they wanted to. A lot of it is being in the right headspace, the right mentality of when those missteps happen, because they will. You're going to get in isolation at some point in time with Steph Curry. And he's probably going to cook you. Maybe not every yeah. time, but yeah, stuff like that is going to happen. It's how you respond to that. It's not getting too low within yourself. And yeah, you're right. Sometimes you hit a ceiling as any athlete. Maybe you hit a <laughs> ceiling and there's no more growth for you but until you reach that point you have to stay level-headed yeah I think it's going to be frustrating well I know it is in the NBA where you just want to make it difficult on the defensive end you know you want to make them work for it you want to you know hand in the face well he hit that shot in my eye there's nothing I can do about that you know but it's those plays where you're like I didn't even make him work 
even right. a little bit. That was the easiest bucket he could have possibly gotten. That's the type of stuff you can't have. And the other angle too, Brian, you mentioned the NFL route of you don't control what team you end up on. Sometimes you end up on a bad team, a team that does not have good talent around you. Maybe they've had yeah. missteps in drafts in the past. You need to not get frustrated, even if you're having, oh, I'm look at me, I'm having like a, a 20 and, and 10 type of season here as a rookie. That's great, but you can't get yourself caught up in just overall frustration and, and spite if you don't have those role players right away at your new destination. Oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. We'll get back to uh, Jalen hood Shafino at the top of the hour, declaring for the NBA draft. Also, Zach Eady, nearly unanimous. AP men's college basketball player of the year coming up next man there is an nfl prediction that is incredibly far-fetched at least i think so we'll see what jimmy thinks around the corner i'm brian no he's jimmy cook it's 93.5 and 107.5 the fan i'm brian no he's jimmy cook here on the fan so this is a far-fetched nfl prediction mike florio of pro football talk he was on the pat mcafee show and he said he thinks it's inevitable that we'll see NFL games every night <laughs> in the not-too-distant future. He says, I think sooner than later, we're going to have Tuesday night football. We're going to have Wednesday night football. It's going to be, hopefully, in my lifetime, a seven-day-a-week primetime event. There's too much money to be made. Jimmy, this is never going to happen, man. He did talk about expansion. He said, I think... They're going to start moving that number from 32 to in time 34, 36, 38, eventually 40. He's talking about quarterbacks are the key. Are there enough good quarterbacks for 40 NFL teams? There are enough good quarterbacks for 32 teams right now, but he's saying it, it would require expansion, maybe as many as 40 teams to have games every day of the week. How old do you think Mike Florio is going to live to? I guess that would be my follow-up question. <laughs> is he going to live to be like 237 years old or something like that? I don't suppose you came to this segment with his age already in hand. No, you? I don't. Okay, I just thought of that. He's, He's 57. 57. Okay, we need him to live a minimum of 200 more years. <laughs> for which one? For the for the 40 teams or for yeah. the uh, football every day? For 40 teams in football <laughs> every night. I think minimum 257 years old for Mike Florio. Look, I don't think the Players Association would allow it, but I don't think it's far-fetched that that's been floated around owners before, the idea of how much extra money could be made oh. of having – nearly every day of the week have football. <laughs> what, like, truthfully. What, what untapped markets could they look at for a team, for a franchise? Well, the rumors are always that they're going to go overseas. Will that actually happen? I don't know. Logistically, it's a nightmare to plan it out, but that's always the underbelly is maybe they go overseas or maybe they expand uh, just within North America. Maybe there's a team in Mexico City. Maybe there's a team in Toronto. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that, that that's the path of the rumor mill of expansion coming okay. in some capacity. Well, let's play it out. Let's get to 40 here. We're at 32 so that gives us about 35. Let's say there's a, a team in Mexico. There's a team in Toronto. Let's put a team in London. You're not going to have like four teams abroad. There, there might be one, maybe two. So if we're at 35, what other U.S. cities, what, what five other cities would we have a team in? I mean, you could like, if you want me to just list them without looking it up, you could put one in Louisville. You could put one in Oklahoma <laughs> City. You could put one in SEC country somewhere, whether that's in Alabama or like somewhere within. Let's go Birmingham. Like, Didn't they have uh, like the XFL they did. or something? They did. Yes, they did. <laughs> All their yeah. games were in Birmingham. Again, I don't like this is me. <laughs> I'll be honest with our audience. This is 
sports talk host guy. I have not studied the, the demographics yeah, yeah. and the data the that would show the cuff. this is yeah. just cities I could see it happening in. You give Jimmy a little grace over there. Please. There, there, there's rumors in, uh, or not rumors, excuse me, in Madden. That's where we're going now for these teams. There's always, oh, you could add a second team in Chicago. It would never happen. Oh, but, no. But yeah. You look at states that have multiple teams, I guarantee you that there would be like another big push to put another team in, in New York or put a team that's truly in New Jersey yeah. if we're looking at expansion maps. I hear like, you, but Virginia you know what? Or, uh, sure, or yeah, anywhere on the East Coast around there. Delaware, need, maybe not. We need another Virginia. Green Bay. That's what we need because we're thinking big cities here. We need Omaha, you know, Augusta, Maine. Omaha, come we on. Need, we need Concord over here. We need Montpelier. Maine. We need you know? to get something in Maine. That's, That's what, what I'm saying. Yep. Augusta, Maine. Yep. You know? Yeah. Middle America. O- o- Omaha. I don't know what you're going to. Uh, Topeka, Kansas. Yeah. Yes. Sure. sure. Yeah. Let's get over there. Yep. What do you think? I like it. It's not going to happen. I don't think you'll get to 40, <laughs> but 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 I think I think expansion is far more likely than a game every day. Absolutely. A game every day is insane. That's not going to happen. Do you remember the COVID year where it was that weird Raven-Steelers game? And I forget, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday. And it was a huge deal at the time, like gigantic deal at the time. Yes, I remember There is no way. Players are freaking out about maybe playing on Thursday night twice a season. Like there's there's no, no way yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. That's college football's day. Like no, there that's would be insane. Enough, there would be enough pushback from the players' association for it never to get to every day. But yeah, honestly, no. if at the next NFL owners meeting you heard Wednesday night football, I, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if they added another day. Maybe not every day, but if they added one more, I would not be shocked by that type of money grab. That's fair. But still, like adding one day is different than adding yes, four. Yes, I, I agree. And Mike Florio, you know, with, with, with all of the different uh, uh, takes and information pieces that he has for uh, pro football talk, yeah, every now and again, there's going to be the outlandish uh, 40 yeah. teams expansion uh, plus seven days a week football and a new eighth day that we've added in, in conjunction with uh, the UN. I don't know. I have no idea yeah. how they'd make that happen. No doubt. <laughs> all right, we'll get to uh, Jalen hood Shafino, Zach Eady. Also, I used to have respect for this NFL guru that's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Brian No and Jimmy Cook with you here on The Fan. I was just thinking about with Jalen Hood Shafino, Indiana point guard, he declared for the NBA draft today. So he's going pro. And I was just thinking, if you could be a pro for a day, you know, or just pro for an afternoon, you know, and just feel what it's like to go up against some of the competition. You know what I mean? Like, hey, try to defend this NBA point guard, you know, for just five possessions or something, and just to feel how helpless you would be in a situation like that. Or hit this major league fastball. We were just talking about Hunter Green of the Reds throwing a pitch that was 105.2 miles per hour. Like, literally, just to stand in the batter's box and feel what that's like. I would love to do that. I would love to experience that just for, you know, like three at-bats or three possessions trying to guard an elite point guard. But that that really is, like, I have nothing on Jalen hood Shafino. I'm just saying making that jump from even college to the pros like Jalen hood Shafino, who's going to be a first-round draft pick, 
and much more capable than I am. I mean, that's not the comparison. It's just to put in perspective how big of a jump that is, even for a guy that played major college basketball. So in your stance there, I apologize because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm not listening. OK, no, I am listening. But right. we're, you say it's not a shot at Jalen Ojefino. I didn't think it was until you no. threw in that it's not a shot at Jalen Ojefino. At first, I thought we were going down. What would be the coolest thing to experience that type of raw power and energy to which I was going to say? I mean, you mentioned the NBA. You mentioned being the batter's box for me. I'm not built for it, but. They never get any love. The trench warfare has to be unlike anything in any other sport trying oh. to be in the offensive or defensive oh. line. Well, that's just I, – I kind of put physicality to the side okay, just because that's an even bigger mismatch. Sure, sure. Where, like, you know, what am I, 5'11", maybe a buck 60-ish right now? I, I have nothing for Nick Bosa. You no, know what I mean? Like, hey, guard Nick, just see what you can do. Or they're like, no, no chance. Or to go up against an elite offensive lineman, sure. zero chance. Try to try to speed rush Trent Williams over there. No, you don't like, have a good a swim shot. move. You, you can't. Yeah. You, you don't. You don't have one in your arsenal. <laughs> I got a great Reggie White club move. Let me try it on Trent Williams real fast. But anything to do with physicality, where it's hey boxing, get in there with Canelo Alvarez, see how you fare. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? MMA, an elite fighter. Like, there's just nothing you got. Depending on your build, and especially if you're not even close to being a professional in that sport, you got nothing when it comes to physicality. But just in terms of, hey, you've played basketball before. Maybe you can shoot. Try to make a shot (laughs) against this NBA player. You know what I mean? Like, I would love to feel that. Yeah. I guess the football equivalent to take out physicality would be trying to be a corner on an island and trying to to, to handle in some capacity the speed of a Tyreek Hill or or a Jalen Waddell or or a Stephon Diggs on a go route. Like, see see if you're able to hang around there after his first stutter step move. Yeah. And I guess depending on what position you played, let's just take football. You know, if you played quarterback, let's say you played it at in grade school, high school, maybe you played in college, whatever you did, but you didn't play professionally. Think about like those drills in training camp, you know, where it's not live. They're not hitting the quarterback, but you have X amount of time to read a defense and get rid of the football and go to the right place. That would be fun to do or whatever your position was. Just take the physicality out of it as much as you can. You played linebacker in high school. Okay, guard this running back out of the back. If you have, see if you can hang with Austin Eckler for yeah. you know three passes, that type of thing. It would be so fascinating to be able to do that. And I'd love to. Of accessibility, it's not going to be the same as an in-game environment, but I guess I don't know how high or how fast you can go within a batting cage, but I mean, that's probably the easiest in terms of feeling raw speed fly by you without needing to make the jump to the pros, right? That's not an opportunity that a lot of people could get, but you go to a batting cage, put some coins in, and then uh, yeah. see, see, see how good you really are, I guess. Isn't that amazing, too, where in the batting cage, you know, whatever, you get in the 80-mile-per-hour yeah. cage. It's 80 miles per hour down the middle every time. Yep. Well, depending on the batting cage you go to, there one, might be one right at your eyeballs, one of the pitches, <laughs> but for, the, for right. the most part, right down the middle. And, and think about the, the movement, in MLB, how they mix and match pitches, like the off-speed stuff, then you get the gas, like that. It's such another level, man. It's I like the pros make it look so easy. Anybody who does their craft well makes it look easy. A great stand-up comedian makes it look easy. Yes. Like a great golfer makes it look like oh, you could just go to the local muni 
and tear it up. It's not like that at all, man. And going back to Jalen Hood, Chafino, if you're on a path where you, let's say, have had an entire career in stand-up comedy or you've had an entire career in whatever profession you want to pick, your hope is that as you've grown at each level, you continue to have the same level of worth, ethic, and commitment to your game if you want to succeed at the highest level of the profession. Jalen Chafino is going to have to carry that same type of work ethic, that same will to learn and grow that he had in his one year in Indiana that he's had throughout his you know, AAU and, and high school career to be able to make it present and succeed in the NBA. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. That's the difference is, um, you know, if you got to do that, you're trying to score on an NBA player. Like, you get three chances to do so. Think about the fun things that they do during a game. It's like, hey, ride this tricycle. See if you can beat the other guy. Or, you know, uh, try to make a couple of free throws and try a half-court shot and that type of thing. If they had, hey, try to score on Giannis Adetokounmpo, you get three opportunities. (laughs) That type of thing. But the thing that's different is you just go back to your occupation. I go back to being a radio host. You go back to being a doctor. Whatever you are, whoever's listening. Like, this is Jalen hood Shafino's profession now. And... Uh, he's going to have a couple of humbling experiences, as all these guys do. Yeah. Unless you're a superstar walking into the league, everybody gets humbled. Yeah, regardless of all the hype that surrounds you when you're finally drafted, all the nice pieces that come out from the organization that takes you, if you're not willing to put in the time, it's not going to matter. And you're going to flame out, and you're going to be a, a what could have been, and all the what ifs. Oh, he should have stayed at Indiana another year, or he should have been there longer that'll follow you and that that's the risk reward of this profession we don't talk about it a ton other than draft season but it's a valuable aspect of where careers are broken or made you know what i would like is a piece when it, i always talk about welcome you're welcome to the nfl or you're welcome to the nba moment and it's always the you know like a good player but not a, a spectacular player or maybe it's an average player. It, you're always talking to like Brian Scalabrini. You know what I mean? And he's like, oh, dude, I got to the NBA and this, you know, I, I went and tried to defend Shaq and it didn't go well. You know what I mean? I would like Shaq's welcome to the NBA moment. You know what I mean? Like, I would like yeah. LeBron's welcome to the NBA moment because even the superstars, they had those humbling experiences. Everybody gets dunked on or crossed over or whatever in the NBA, or even those guys. I would love to hear it because you never do with the superstars. And the problem is you need the certain level of authenticity and honesty to be present there, right? Because a lot of it, it's sure. easy to fall into that trope of if you're a superstar, ah, you know, yeah, yeah. never really had that, never feared anybody. No, but yeah, no, no. I'm yeah. sure if you dug far enough, you'd find a highlight play in, from, from Cleveland in a random game in December where, where LeBron got juked or got miscommunication on defense. It happens. It happens to everybody in the league. There was a funny story with Kenny Anderson. You remember Kenny yeah. was a really good point guard, played yes. at Georgia Tech, played in the league, the association, I should say, for a long time. And uh, he's coaching college basketball right now. And there's a story I read recently. And one of the guys on the bus on his team was like, uh, you ever play against Michael Jordan? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, many times, many times. It's like, did uh, he ever dunk on you? He's like, oh, no, 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 never happened, never happened. And the kid on his phone has YouTube. And he's like, what's this? <laughs> he's like, you got me, you got me, you got me. All right, fine, it did happen once. Uh, Brian Noah and Jimmy Cook with you here, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Also, Zach Eady. He's named nearly unanimously the AP Men's College Basketball Player of the Year. 58-person media panel. 
He got all but one vote. That one vote went to Trace Jackson Davis, obviously, of IU. Always interesting. I feel like every now and then I'm on an island with some of my takes over here. You know, but when you're the one person who didn't vote for the guy, you know, I don't know. I Trace Jackson Davis had a, a great season, but more he did more than, than Zach Eady did. I mean, come on. There's a reason why 57 people saw it with Zach Eady and one person saw it with Trace Jackson Davis. I don't know if they release or if it's public where the votes came from. I know like with, with some MVP awards, like in the professional level, they'll reveal that. So I, I don't know where it came from. But assuming, for the sake of argument, it did not come from uh, the, the Bloomington Herald or it did not come from the Star somewhere locally. Something was a national writer. Would I have voted for Trace Jackson Davis even as an IU alum? Probably not because of the full season that Zach Eady had. But <laughs> it's not a total name out of a hat. He was in that conversation or at least being put in that conversation nationally by a lot of different well-reputable organizations at about the midway point of the year. He's still at a great season. And if you are a wins are a individual player stat guy, went 2-0 against Zach Eady this year. So, you know, they both had scoring fest. It wasn't like he locked him down, though. So I, yeah, take it for what, what you will. When you're saying that with the smile on your face, you know what I mean? Where sure. it's like, you know, if I were to make a devil's advocate argument, I mean, it's this not is out- the best I can do. Sure. You know, yeah, He was at least a candidate, though. His name was at least Absolutely. in every wouldn't watch award. Like, yeah. if, if that's what you believe, totally support. I'm sure there's a, a good backing for why they went there. Maybe I could get around to it. But your overall point there, it's a lonely island to be on when you're the only one that did it and you get those near unanimous. And Oh, one guy did it and he picked yeah. uh, the, the big man at my rival school. And what's going on there? So it really does depend on how good of an argument you can make. They were just showing highlights of Shohei Otani and Aaron Judge, as you call him, Judgey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. your guy, Yankees fan Indeed. over there, Jimmy Cook. But I still believe that Shohei Otani was the AL MVP last season. And I get why he wasn't. And I get why overwhelmingly the votes went to Aaron Judge because he had a sensational season and broke what many people think is the single season real home run record with Roger Maris. I get all of that. But. Otani was amazing as a hitter. Oh, and by the way, as a pitcher. Like, I just think that's more valuable. I think you get more with that. I was in the minority, but I, at least you can make a good argument. So sure. I don't mind being on an island if I can at least make a good argument. But I don't think you can make a better argument for Trace Jackson Davis over Zach Eady. That's the thing. It's the difference between making a good argument and a better argument. It, it would be very if like if there was a singular factor like let's say for instance Trace Jackson Davis had displayed throughout the course of this season an ability to, to stretch the floor in such a way that differentiates himself from Zach Eady and also makes him a, a higher valued or higher level prospect in the NBA had there been one of those little nuggets I could get behind it further but mm-hmm. what we're both saying here at least what you're saying they're both the same style of player they both do pretty much exactly the same thing at a high level because Edie did it at a higher rate and probably a more efficient rate over the course of the entire season, your argument becomes less strong if you're in the Trace Jackson Davis camp. What kind of numbers would Trace put up if Jalen hood Shafino wasn't there? It's a great question. I mean, you'd assume that 
almost everything is being, if not already, everything is being run through Trace Jackson Davis. You're asking well, for that anyway as an IU fan, but it's, it it's does a good point. De- it depends on if they played fairly Dickinson in, <laughs> in the NCAA tournament. Sure, you got to factor that in, yeah. And yeah. then at that point, he, he wouldn't have gotten a shot in the final 13-plus <laughs> minutes, you know. But otherwise, Eddie, I hear you on that one. Yeah, uh, depending on who's around you, yeah, it absolutely impacts your numbers, but, you know, we can only go by... What happened? Yeah. What is? Yeah. yeah. What, what is the case? What I find really interesting is Zach Eady dominated in college this past season. Trace Jackson Davis was outstanding in college basketball this past season. And these guys are what? Second round projected picks? It's amazing how much yeah. it differs getting to the NBA. And it's just a different game, man. You got to shoot it. You got to shoot from outside, no matter who you yeah. are. Look at the bigs in the NBA. These guys, like... Valanchunas has taken threes last night against the Denver Nuggets from outside. You know, like these guys, Nurkic with the Blazers. These are big dudes. Jokic, he didn't play last night, but he's taking threes. Like you got to be able to shoot it that you are almost like an NFL fullback in a way where that position has been by most teams (laughs) just phased out. If you're a big man that doesn't shoot it well from outside. It's one of the craziest things within that sport as the game has evolved at one position. That's a great analogy. Has gone the way of the fullback and is extinct. And, and to your point, if you're a fan of that old style of play, that's what makes the college game at times intriguing or, or remind you of an yeah. older style of play because it's weird. The dinosaurs, you know, the meteors hit in the NBA. It's not there to this point in college. You can still thrive and be a high-level player of the year like Zach Eady was, but not be able to stretch the floor in that capacity. Same with Trace Jackson Davis, even though TJD has, at least he's on draft boards and is viewed as a, a potential uh, lottery pick. But when you look at what that is now versus today, it's an entirely different game, college to the pros. It just is. Well, and I also think if you make another comparison here is we talk about this a lot with college football offensive linemen that based on your scheme, a lot of these dudes, they're not ready to play offensive line in the NFL. If you run one of these air raid systems and you're never putting your hand on the ground, like you're always in a two point stance, just ready to throw the ball again and again and again, you're not fully developed to be an offensive lineman stepping foot into the NFL. I think the same is true when it comes to a lot of big men in college not shooting the ball from outside. And this is not a diss on Matt Painter or Mike Woodson or any of these coaches. I think they're doing what they should do at the college level. You're trying to win games. But in terms of being prepared for the next level, it's not like Matt Painter is saying, hey, Zach, just shoot more threes. You know what I mean? Like They're not encouraging Trace Jackson Davis to shoot 20-footers or 24-footers. They're saying, play to your strengths. But those guys are not developed for the NBA game, which is totally different. You can still see, though, and it's a weird like reality check moment for these bigs. If you're athletic and dynamic enough the way Trace Jackson Davis is, and and I don't have a couple of these bigs numbers in front of me from beyond the arc, and they also both happen to go to Indiana, but I look at bigs like Cody Zeller, like Thomas Bryant, that have still been able to find roles that, at least to my knowledge, Bryant has gotten better at it as he's been in the NBA. You can find role player opportunities still in the league and thrive. However, it's a shorter ceiling than maybe what you would have hoped as you're a college athlete, and it's by far a shorter ceiling than the big man's would have had even seven years ago. 
Yeah, interesting conversation, man. It really is. It's Brian No and Jimmy Cook with you here on The Fan. Let's uh, shift over to a guy I used to have respect for, this NFL guru. He goes by the name of Mel Kuyper Jr. Mel you know what Kuyper. he's done with his big board here, Jimmy? What did he so, do this time? He has Where's Lil Levis? He's flip-flopped two quarterbacks. Mm. He now has, well, number one, Jalen Carter, defensive tackle from Georgia. Will Anderson Jr., edge rusher, Alabama. This is best available, just to be clear, right? Okay, okay. Yep. Number three, Bryce Young, Alabama. Number four, Will Levis, Kentucky. He flip-flopped three and four, Jimmy. (laughs) Jimmy, what has changed? What has changed from the last time... He wrote a piece like this on ESPN.com. What has changed? You will have to forgive me. The last piece I saw of his, I I did not know that he had Will Levis ahead of Bryce Young. Oh, he did. So I I don't have his fuel to the fire as you do, in part because I agree with the swap. Perhaps maybe he saw the light. I mean, that's that's the best I can come up with. No, I think he's uh, he's part sheep right Ah, here. I think he's part sheep. He's just, ah, he's Mel Kuyper Jr. Going along with the flock over here. He's following how fashionable it is to bash Will to Thrill Levis. Um, but he mentions this, just a couple of the Cliffs notes here, what Kuyper writes about Bryce Young. He's one of the best processors I've scouted over the past decade. That's high praise. The questions about Young are per, uh, purely related to his size. <laughs> Almost identical measurements to Kyler Murray at the 2019 Combine right there. Isn't that, that really puts it in perspective. They're both 5'10". Kyler Murray is 207 pounds. Bryce Young, 204 uh, very, you know, like lower body, Kyler Murray. He's just more solid than Bryce Young is. But isn't that crazy to think about? Bryce Young, he looked undersized in college, but Kyler Murray looks like mini-me out there in the NFL. That's what Bryce Young is going to look like. Look, it, it's not... It is an island take here for me now because, Uh-oh. I mean, it, it's not present anymore. You've seen the regression from Kyler Murray, particularly last season. I always really enjoyed watching Kyler Murray pray, particularly his first two seasons in the league. And then you have the, the uh, whatever the clause was about needing to watch film. Yeah. And then you have all these like former executives or former coaches or former Maybe the players. Fortnite clause. Yeah, clause, that, the Fortnite right? clause. I like that. That's, that's <laughs> nice. But then you have like former players say, yeah, the guy's like a diva. Like he needs to grow up. Right. Like, and, yep, and again, yep. those are all massive red flags. But in terms of the dynamicness that, he showed at times as mm-hmm. long as you take away the bad characteristics like I, I don't necessarily think that's an unfair comp to Bryce Young and I don't think it should be necessarily oh. painted in a negative light no, 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 yeah well hey I'm not saying that Bryce Young is playing Fortnite and not studying <laughs> I, like I don't know some people I but always the say this thing is worse for me like I don't yeah, care oh, like, sure. I, like so you should still put in your time to study I'm not like downplaying that, but if you're approaching a locker room cancer territory yeah, yeah, after no. all the money you just made, Fine. then that's a problem. But that's the thing. This is the golden rule with comparisons. Sure. I tell people this all the time, maybe because I make a lot of comparisons and people twist it into something it never was. I say it's not about who you're comparing. It's how you're comparing them. You know, so it's like if we're just talking about both quarterbacks being 5'10 and about the same weight. That's the comparison. Right. It's, it's not about study habits and video game clauses or study clauses. Or it's nothing. It's just based on dimensions, that and that alone, you know? And I'm not trying to clean it up for you. The only thing I was trying to clean up for the audience is you hear Kyler Murray's name nowadays, 
And that's not what pops in your head. People don't hear, oh, it's a size comparison. It's a frame comparison. It's maybe a play style comparison. They hear work ethic. They hear drama. Uh, and and no. that's the part I'm trying to clean up. That's not what you were saying. Okay. I just mean for the audience what I was trying to clean up there. Gotcha. Uh, it's Jimmy Sanitation Cook. Doing what I can. Right. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing the dirty work sometimes. Gotta I do like what you gotta it. do. All right, here's what Mel Kuyper Jr., half sheep, wrote about Will the Thrill Levis. He said, Levis's stats won't blow you away, but he didn't have a great supporting cast of playmakers around him. Amen, Kuyper Jr. He got that right. But when I went through and watched all of his stats, his starts at Kentucky, I was really impressed with his game. Uh, he talked about he makes some wow throws, rocket launcher for an arm that has gotten the Penn State transfer into trouble at times, Kuiper Jr. writes. But it's clear watching him that he believes he can fit the ball into any window. My comparison for him is Matthew Stafford. And he also wrote, uh, Levis can maneuver the pocket and throw on the run. Many of Levis's turnovers came when he tried to use his arm to force throws. He is. The real deal, though, and there are lots of Levis fans in the NFL. I haven't run across these people who are big fans. Maybe they're of the silent variety or the anonymous source variety, but but at least Mel Kuyper Jr. is hearing uh, some people wax poetic about Levis there. That has to warm your heart. Well, hey, man, some people are accurate. It's, it's good to know there's accuracy out there somewhere. But you know, So I would say half sheep, half Australian shepherd for uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. I don't like that he is sheepishly flip-flopped Bryce Young and Will Levis when nothing has really changed at all. Um, but he is half Australian Shepherd because he is saying positive things and at least has Levis rated ahead of C.J. Stroud, and a lot of people don't have that. Well, at least he didn't uh, do what I've seen from some mock drafts on, on ESPN and other networks where they have the quarterbacks going in some form, Stroud, Young, Richardson, and then yeah. no other teams trading up, and all of a sudden it's the 15th pick oh, yeah. before Will, the, the thrill Levis, <laughs> finds his place in the NFL. At least he didn't go that route. Yeah, well, I'm seeing a lot of these mock drafts. They've got Levis going 19th overall to Tampa. That's the other thing, though, is what is the major curveball? Either it's whatever. It's Anthony Richardson going number two to Houston. And you're like, whoa, Like, what greatly differs from the mainstream mock drafts? Because it happens a lot. Is it Levis plummeting? Think about last year's draft. Most people thought there would be multiple first-round quarterbacks. There was one guy in Kenny Pickett, and we had to wait to the third round yeah. <laughs> for other guys to come off the board. That was it. There was one guy in the first two rounds. So I'm just so curious with the curveball. The major one is going to be quarterback-wise in this draft. I think that either Richardson or Levis, whichever one is left without a dance partner, I, I can get behind and believe that they're going to fall into the teens or beyond either one of them if they are not picked I, in that first wave of quarterbacks. I mean, I just think of the Raiders. I mean, they're seventh overall, and they have Jimmy G right now. You know what I mean? Like, and they've mocked that. That's the safety net, right? That's been the one yeah. spot where Levis or Richardson, because they can yeah. get out of that Garoppolo deal next year, right? Uh, they could, but that's the thing is, if you're the Raiders and you're enamored, yeah, you're enamored, <laughs> especially if it's Anthony Richardson with all these tools and... A, that screams Raiders. Yeah. And even Levis does, I think, with the rocket launcher of an arm and the upside. You're not going QB. What's the plan? In my mind is, are you just trying to lose and get 
either Caleb Williams or Drake May the next year. If you're the Raiders and one of these two guys falls to you at seventh overall, I just have a hard time seeing them pass. It'll be fascinating. Again, I was just trying to give you one that could really surprise me and would be shock value on draft day. There's always those free fall moments for prospects. I mean, the Raiders are a tough one to get a read on in particular because... They're the Raiders. Either the Raiders and even with uh, Sean Payton coming in, uh, or sorry, not Sean Payton, even with Josh McDaniels in there another year, and even with Jimmy Garoppolo rather coming in, I I still view them as bottom of the AFC West and and in this same spot next year. So maybe they are waiting for another QB. Yeah, I don't know. All right, coming up next, Frank Martin, head coach at UMass, made a Final Four run with South Carolina. Diehard Dolphins fan, Jimmy. We'll break down uh, Tua. You know, the prospects of them winning the AFC East. And uh, we'll kind of like throw in some college basketball at the end. Sound good to you? That sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. We're, uh, Frank Martin's probably watching uh, Dolphins game film right now, preparing for the season. We'll catch up with him hopefully here in a minute or two. Um, but there was I just saw Jimmy. I'll do my best play-by-play uh, impression here. This was the Dodgers game last night. So there was a fan who ran onto the field. He's just in left field, and he's proposing to his girlfriend who's in the bleachers. <laughs> so picture this. He jumps down somehow, and he's on a knee. He's like, will you marry me from pretty far away? And so everybody's got their phones in left field in the crowd like, hey, it's Jake. He's doing it. Like, whatever. He's proposing on the field. This security guard, Jimmy, comes out of nowhere. He looks like an NFL linebacker with a form tackle. Is This guy, again, is on one knee proposing from far away. Decleats this guy. Like, knocks him into next week. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine the ring stayed in the box. What if the ring is lost on top of that? It's a dangerous situation, but uh, I guess the piece of advice I'd give to that young man, uh, there's a reason you don't go out on the field in any capacity and don't turn your back to security if you're going to go on the field because uh, you never know <laughs> where that pressure is going to come from. Oh, that, I haven't seen the video amazing. yet. I know you sent it to us, but uh, uh, we were joking over break. It's as wild as that uh, police chase out in California oh, uh, where the gosh. guy jumped out of a, a moving cop car at 50 miles an hour. I mean, just yeah. a lot of... A lot of confusing decisions made by by all parties of the last couple of days. Yeah, I don't know if that was in the Fresno area, but uh, I worked in that area. One of the guys I know there, he was the one who tweeted that video out. So I'm, uh, it's probably in Central California. This guy stole a cop car, and for whatever reason, like Jimmy just said, jumped out of it, going about <laughs> 54 miles per hour. And you can imagine how that went. Not well. Not well at all. I saw a tweet here. Jimmy, this was funny. Who were we talking to the other day that was talking about Bono? Remember, he was talking about the, the jacket that that had lasers coming out of it? I, oh, I was, uh, uh, I think it was Joel Erickson, I think. I don't know if it was Joel or it might have been Joel. I'm not sure who it was, but anyway. It was either Joel or it was Matt Norlander. I can't remember which one. No, but. it definitely wasn't him. Okay. It was it Kravitz? Guessing. Are you sure it wasn't Kravitz? It was either Joel or Kravitz. I can't I, remember. I think it was Joel. It might have been Joel. So Adam Schefter tweeted this out. He wrote, Giants president John Mara told SiriusXM NFL that his head coach Brian Dable is a rock star, but it comes with trappings. We kid him. This is a quote. We kid him right now. He's Bono walking around New York City. 
But as I've told him, in this business, it doesn't take long to go from Bono to Bozo. It's well one, done. Well done. Bears, it's pretty, well, pretty good. We just need the rim shot at the end, but I thought a pretty admirable job. Look, at a minimum, if you have the opportunity to, regardless of who you're clowning around with in your organization, if you're making press statements or comments to the press, you got to have a good one-liner in the arsenal in some capacity, and that's that's a good one, no less. It is true. I know it's one of these one-liners and almost like a dad joke, if yes. you will, but it is so, so true. Like, Brian Dable, he got a lot of props, and rightfully so last year. What he meant for Daniel Jones' development, the Giants quarterback, he did a lot of good for him. And that's the hope in Indianapolis, is that Shane Steichen can come here and mold whatever rookie quarterback they get. And that's the assumption right now. That's what they do. But Brian Dable meant a lot to Daniel Jones' development. He looked like a completely different quarterback. And I think Josh Allen took a step back a bit. Not by leaps and bounds with Buffalo, but a bit. You could tell that he was working with Ken Dorsey and not Brian Dable anymore. So, yeah, like Brian Dable. But that's the thing is you can go from the toast of the league to what is this freaking clown doing in 2023? Yep. It can move that fast. And my issue with it, and this is thinking big picture for the Colts, maybe I'm in the minority on this train. I would not have signed Daniel Jones long-term. I think he's an average NFL quarterback. I mean, I guess the evaluation... I'm not even talking about other quarterbacks comparison. I just thought it was a lot of money for a QB that's had one or two good years over his young career, but not elite-level play by any means. So... You mentioned it turns on a dime. We will see very quickly. Here's my owner uh, plug here, Brian. We'll see very quickly if Danny Dimes is going bankrupt this year for the Giants. Oh, there you wow. go. Oh, wow. Look there's at my, you. I got to uh, there, there, get the there, rim, shot. My rim shot. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, one of these deals where, you know, 15 touchdown passes, five interceptions for Daniel Jones. Nice. Yeah. Not even close to Carson Wentz's 2021 no. season of 27 touchdown passes and seven interceptions, but you know it's a high whatever. bar that was set that season. Yeah. Memorable season, one of the greatest of all time. Not no, talked no, about no, enough. No, I mean, it's no, just, no, not gotta, true, not true. No, 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 there. no. Don't muddy the waters with hyperbole <laughs> over here. Huh? It was just a solid so you're season. Right, you're right. Your actual statement about it being the most underrated season in NFL it, history was not is. hyperbolic at all. No, you're no, right. no. You're that right. is absolutely on point. <laughs> that is truthful. It is right on the money. I did. I'm like. Oh, these freaking guys, Jimmy and Eddie, I'm going to dig into the stats. I dug and looked at more things. Yeah, I, I'm even more secure with my position yeah. right now. More the, secure. The two and five and one possession games with our larger point of head scratching, boneheaded decisions from this guy uh-huh. didn't, didn't factor Just into all, your research. All, at all on Wentz. Just totally on yeah. Wentz right there. All, all of it. Anything that went to hell, Wentz. Anything that was good. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor. Now you're defense. now now you're 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 muddying my argument. You're not muddying the national argument, but you're no. muddying my argument. I told you I think he got too much of the slack. I, I think he was overblown the amount of there you go. hatred that he got. I don't think that all of it was unwarranted, however. I think he played his hands were not clean from the issues the Colts had down the stretch of that season. Fair, fair. He had some dirt on his hands. I won't say that his play was, you know, spectacular or perfect. Of course it wasn't. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. If he has dirt on his hands, you know, he's got some dirt on, you know, he's, he's a couple of digits over there. You know, the pinky and the ring finger. You, you need to brush that off. Yeah. You know, the other hand, you got the index finger right there. People are acting like his hands are caked in mud. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. in terms of what his production was in 2021. It's not accurate. There's one other thing here, Jimmy, where we were talking about Drew Holiday uh, the other day when he scored 51 points against the Pacers. 
And I didn't even know this. You're big into the NBA. I am too, but I, I didn't know this. Maybe I've been sleeping. But I was looking at Drew Holiday, what he's done and the awards that he's gotten. Two-time NBA All-Star. And he's been on first and second team all defensive squads as well. He's done that four times. Two for each. I didn't know about this too. He won the Sportsmanship Award in 2021 and he was named the teammate of the year in two of the last three seasons. I didn't even know they did that. <laughs> Do you, did you know they give a sportsmanship and a teammate of the year award in the NBA? I, I, I remember it now that you say it, and I do think, and Eddie, I defer to him uh, in general in this area as well, that's a relatively new award, is it well, not? Well, here's the thing. I've you done some digging here. Yeah. You gave me a side eye. Is that not relatively new? Okay, shrug of the shoulder. All right, go ahead. Okay. You did shrug- some digging. What did you find? Shrug- okay, so the sportsmanship award... The first guy who won it, Joe Dumars wow. of the Pistons in 95-96. The Sportsmanship's been around. The Sportsmanship Award's been around. For my life. Yeah, like, think about that. The 95 <laughs> season, that's the last time the Cowboys won the Super wow. Bowl. That's how long the Sportsmanship Award has been Shows around what in we the know. NBA. Shows what we know. Yeah. Now, the Teammate of the Year Award, that hasn't been around as long. It started in 2012-13, that 2012-13 okay. season. The first winner of the NBA Teammate of the Year Award, Chauncey Billups of the L.A. Clippers. Wow. That's your uh, trivia nugget of the day. I'm going to pocket that and use it at a, at a sports bar at some point in time when it's trivia night. That's, yeah. that's, that's a kind of you to give that for free. Who was the first Teammate of the Year Award given to in the NBA? Chauncey Billups. Uh, other award winners, how about this? Shane Battier, former Teammate of the Year Award winner. Tim Duncan, Vince Carter of the Memphis Grizzlies, <laughs> Dirk, <laughs> Jamal Crawford, Mike Conley Jr., shout out. He won it. Uh, Drew Holiday, two of the last three years, and Damian Lillard. Dame won it uh, a couple of years ago. I think the top hardware that I associate with Drew Holiday is his defensive first team and second team appearances. Obviously, I'm going back now, but I just remember when they were kind of cleaning everything up, he'd won it in 18 and in 19, been on those those teams, I should say, not won it, but been a part of those teams. And then their championship year in 2021, when he was as good defensively as he's ever been in his career as the year they won it all. I mean, you'd be very hard-pressed to find true criticisms uh, that would be accurate about Drew Holiday over this stretch of the last three or four seasons, five seasons with Milwaukee. He's been a really, really solid player. So the question is, if we spin it forward, what are the Pacers going to do tonight? They're facing OKC as I'm um, browsing DraftKings over here. They've got a Shea Gilgis-Alexander point total here at 31 and a half. (laughs) So expecting to see some SGA tonight. Uh, against the Pacers. Uh, I'm looking for Josh Giddy. They don't have anything on Josh Giddy posted yet. Uh, he might might erupt, but uh, what do you think about it, it? Well, he might be out, but they've got it listed on DK. Like normally they're on the money with these things. Yeah. Uh, but they have it at 31 and a half for SGA tonight. You're saying take the under there, Eddie? <laughs> oh, well, they just upgraded him to questionable. He was See? recently ruled out. I guess they they changed their mind. Yeah, it uh, looks like he's going to be playing. So if you're going to check out the Pacers tonight, tonight might be able to see SGA, who is a really solid player. He is an absolute scorer. 
And I think the only reason he's so underrated is because he plays for OKC. Yeah. If he played for one of these top-end teams, he'd be getting so much more shine right now. Well, he was for a second there, right, before the Paul George trade. And then that's obviously where he ends up when they send him to Oklahoma City. And it's one of those examples, Brian, of a player that has all those, like, wow, this guy is an incredible passer and he's great off the dribble and he does all these things well as a floor general. If you're not a hardcore NBA fan and you're not watching the Thunder on a Wednesday night, Oh, you man. might not be aware of what he does on the floor. If you're a Pacers fan going tonight, obviously yeah. you're rooting for the hometown team, or maybe you're not because you want the ping pong balls. <laughs> but right. Shea Gildas-Alexander right. will be a fun uh, watch, no doubt about that, if he is out there. Yeah, and that's where we're at. We're team ping. Yeah. We want more ping pong balls. We got the hats ready, ready to go. So it exciting. is kind of weird. to You might be decked out in Pacers stuff at the game tonight, cheering loudly like, get him again, SGA. Give him, give him more. More points over here. <laughs> so the Pacers lose, you get more ping pong balls. It's weird. I, I admit it's a weird spot to be in, but that's the way it is when you're looking at the long haul and trying to get – as, as great of a draft pick as possible, as high as, of one as you can. To kind of bring everything full circle with our conversations today, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeting just a few seconds ago from ESPN sources that discussions on lowering the minimum age to enter the NBA draft uh-huh. are no longer a part of the league's labor talks with the NBPA, clearing oh, wow. the way for the one-and-done era to continue for the foreseeable future. So there you wow. Go. There's that. that That's crazy because they've talked for so I know. long about no longer having the one and done. And now they're just like, yeah, we'll punt on that again. That's surprising based on all the noise that, right? They've talked about changing it for a long time now. Yeah, the rumbles have gotten louder and louder over the last four or five seasons. And again, I've not clicked the story yet. That's just for sake of time. Woj condensing it and giving the important points in that tweet. But I'll be interested to look into that as to why it got removed off the docket if we learn as to what the rationale or the reasoning was by both the NBA and the NBPA. Wow, interesting. By the way, uh, how about Adam Wainwright, St. Louis Cardinals starting pitcher, singing the national anthem yesterday? Really cool. Uh, Love Wayno, love the Redbirds. Awful, awful job. Awful (laughs) rendition. Terrible. Needs to sit in front of a piano, try to match pitch. I don't know what was going on. Very pitchy, very pitchy uh, yesterday singing the anthem. Even though it was very, very cool. Very cool. I don't want to turn a positive to a negative, but (laughs) But I mean, I I just can't help it. Like That was freaking awful. My ears were ringing after that thing. It was nails on the chalkboard. Now I'm going to have to look it up when I... uh leave the studio because I've not heard it yet and uh, I guess I have something to to not look forward to per your evaluation of that rendition. It wasn't quite in the Rockets yeah. Red Glare right, right. you know you've yes. heard that before yes. it wasn't quite that bad but not a ton better <laughs> not a ton better my dad sent me that because we're big Cardinals fans sure. he grew up just outside of St. Louis in a town called Alton Illinois and uh, he sent me that I didn't have the heart to say I don't know what I sent. I, here, let me get it real fast. Let me see what I what I. I don't know if I texted it to him or emailed it. Here we go. I'll get it real fast. This is great radio. Great radio. Beautiful. Thank me later. Thank me later. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I put. Uh, it's cool. He performed the anthem. Not the smoothest rendition, <laughs> but it's awesome. He sang on opening day. See, that was the compliment sandwich right there. It was positive. You know, criticism slash negative. Bookend it with positivity. Your sandwich on air felt like a, a day old version of that. It felt a little <laughs> bit more more raw and, and spoiled. Slightly. Yeah, 
That was the uh, that was the diss sandwich yes. right there. Yeah. You know, the compliment so. was in the middle, and you don't even remember it. Okay, coming up next. Real name or stage name? We'll explain. We'll have some fun. We'll get some betting advice for you as well. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So uh, shout out to Dusty May of Florida Atlantic making it to the final floor, the, the head coach. He went to the same high school as JMV, or JMV went to the same high school as Dusty May. But Eastern Green High School in Bloomfield, Indiana. So there was a piece in the Indy Star about this. Very cool. JMV, very proud of uh, Dusty May making it all the way there to the Final Four. It was a fun read. And uh, what stood out to me is that it showed that JMV, in the piece, it, it mentioned JMV's real name. Like, JMV has a stage name. And so we thought we would do a a little funny game over here real quickly of real name or stage name. Uh, Eddie Garrison will do the honors over here. Very much looking forward to this. Uh, How are we setting this up here, Eddie? What do you think? Oh, nice. I like that. (laughs) Uh, So here's the first name. I'll start it. This is your little neck of the woods. Gene Simmons. Real or stage name? Yeah. Real. I'm going to say stage. Brian is correct. Chain Wits is his actual name. Wow. Would never guess that. Okay. Uh, Guy Fieri. Mm. Real. Uh, I'm going to say real also. Stage. Ah. It is Guy Ramsey Fieri. And it just, he, he went Fietti, I yeah. think, is what he went. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Put a little more flavor town on it. A little so flavor. Speak. Yeah, that's right. Jackie Chan. Okay, I'm, I'm, st- I'm sticking to my guns. Real. I, I, I got to go stage. Stage. Chain, uh, Chan Kong Sang. Whoa, yeah. That's a little bit different right there. Last one so we can get to the Jay Cook plays of the day. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Ah, that's easy. That's a, well, I, I mean, a changed. Yeah. <laughs> changed. Yeah. Yeah. Changed yep. name. Yeah. 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 Do, you, do you know his first name? Luel Cinder. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Give us one more. One more before the one plays. One more. Whoopi Goldberg. Real. I'm, I'm going to go. I'll go staged again. It is staged. Karen Johnson. And I think you were just being uh, a contrarian. Karen Johnson. Yeah. A contrarian no. there to Jay Cook. No. The statistical just, yeah. odds of you picking, though, all stage names is, is, is wild. <laughs> I went real every time, and they were all stage names. Well done on you. Let's get to the plays real fast here. The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me. All right. I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day, Lakers on the money line over the Minnesota Timberwolves, laying the five for the Memphis Grizzlies. It's a shared pick between me and Brian yeah. uh, against the L.A. Clippers. No Kawhi. No Kawhi. It's noted on the Clippers' side. Over 239.5 is what I got for Pacers Thunder, up to 241 now uh, with potentially Sagos Alexander playing tonight. Final four, Florida Atlantic and Miami win it outright. Money line bets all Florida for the title on Monday night. Plays Florida Atlantic? Yes. And Miami. Yep. yep. Okay. All right. Anything for you, Eddie? I know we got to run, but I got you two, and I'll get them to you real quick. Andrew Nimhart over 20 and a half points plus assists, and Tyrese Maxey over two and a half threes. Very nice. All right. Everybody, enjoy your weekend. Keep it locked right here. JMV coming up. We'll catch you later.